Tonight's episode of the Tuesday Night Cigar Club is brought to you by Drew Estate. Come experience the rebirth of cigars at www.drewestate.com and download the free Drew Diplomat smartphone app today to discover nearby retailers, RSVP to special events, redeem points to win exclusive Drew Estate merchandise, and much, much more. Sisters of the Leaf, coming to you live from, well, all over the fucking place, it's the Tuesday Night Cigar Club. Tonight, the boys congregate via live video, thanks coronavirus, you giant asshole, to talk their way through the 1981 cinematic mindfuck that is Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker. Man, they sure knew how to name movies back in the day. And the only way the boys are going to be able to wrap their brain boxes around this crazy-ass film is to devour a ton of craft beers while smoking the hot cake cigar from HVC Cigars. I know I've said it before, party people, but this is truly one episode that you don't want to miss. Which you won't miss, of course, because you're here now, listening, or maybe watching. Hmm, so I'm not sure why I said that. Wait a minute, how many craft beers have I had this evening? I don't usually get quite this meta during just the intro. Well, anywho, sit back, folks, light them up, and enjoy the show. Doctor, good evening. I think you, in particular, will find this story interesting. My cousin, early last year, wasn't feeling well, uh, right at the beginning of the pandemic. Finally, he went to get checked out, and his doctor told him, I'm sorry, BC, but we've determined you have a highly contagious, potentially deadly virus. You'll need to be kept in quarantine and fed a diet of strictly pancakes. My cousin BC, I might not want his story to get out there. I'll change his name, Brian. My cousin Brian, Erwin Spiel. He was shocked as this wasn't an everyday diagnosis back in March, early March of 2020. This was all very new. And he was like, he's like, doc, like that's horrible news. But then he was kind of, you know, he's thinking about it. He's like, but will the pancakes really be able to help me get better? No, the doctor said. That's just the only thing that can be slid under the door. Because when you're in quarantine, nobody can come in there to feed you. So you just slide pancakes under the door. 
We're doing a pancake cigar tonight. Uh, did y'all know? On another note, you might be the only one who knows this, Doctor. Did you know that my mom, growing up, always called me Pancake as a nickname? I uh, have known you my whole life, and I did not know that till now. Yeah. She said it was because the first one you make is always a mistake. <laughs> I was, I was, uh, I was, it was a better anecdote than the first one. <laughs> Look, sorry. I knew that opening the show with some pancake humor was going to be a bit whiskey. Oh. These are kind of falling flat. Uh, they are, are kind of tight. Uh, hey, do you have any batter ideas? <laughs> all right, all right, all right. I think we can move on now. I'm sorry, folks. Uh, we can do we, we can we can do better than better than this. Uh, the day we have to resort to some cheap jokes to open the show is a day I, I don't want to be associated with this show any longer. That day so, is here. So a pancake, a slice of toast, and a piece of bacon walk into a bar. They sit down and ask the bartender for a round of beers. The bartender looks at him and says, get the hell out of my bar. We don't serve breakfast here. <laughs> like he's not serving the breakfast foods. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I, I understood the context. Did I mention we're doing a pancake cigar tonight? This you, is the warm-up, right? I'm supposed to clap, and then we're going to start the show for real? I, you try opening up a, a show where we're smoking a pancake cigar. See what you come up with. I sat at IHOP for six hours the other day, just racking my brain, trying to come up with something. I call you know, it a good I, day. I, I managed to get back to the gym this week, and my body is very sore, but listening to these, now my soul is. <laughs> just, I, hurt, I hurt your soul. Dying on the inside should burn more calories. Oh God! If that were the case, we'd all we'd all be skinny. Uh, welcome everybody to the Tuesday Night Cigar Club, episode one thirty-two. Uh, we're all thawed out here in Texas, ready to rock your fucking socks off. In fact, it's so warm here today; it was almost eighty. We don't have to wear socks. It's flip-flop weather all of a sudden. Oh my uh, goodness! In one week's time, we went from, what, six degrees? Three degrees to Three 86. degrees to 80, mid-80s today. Awesome. God bless Texas, I guess. Fuck it. Actually, this bipolar weather shit's getting a little old. I'm kind of sick of it. Uh, did you guys all do okay? I was going to, at the last minute, because of this crazy weather we've had, I was going to shift gears to a sunny, tropical Bikini Beach movie. Um, because I thought maybe that's what our spirits needed. Um, but then by the time I decided that, it was fucking balls hot outside, and I was like, "Oh, maybe I should do a bikini beach ski snow movie." And I was so confused and conflicted, I was like, "Fuck it, we'll just do the movie I was planning on doing anyway." I think uh, we've all had enough of any kind of snow. Or uh... I'm just so damn tired. You know what? I can handle the snow, Doctor. It's the ice. God, that ice. Ice is worse. Ice belongs in your drink. That's it. That's true. Um, well, I'm glad everybody made made it through. Uh, as what do you call it, Yax? Snowpocalypse. 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 Uh, relatively unscathed. Uh, I appreciate y'all, and I'm glad everybody's doing okay. I heard that. Um, Yax, you didn't have to burn your house down to stay warm, did you? I did not. I didn't. Use my little fireplace and 
sat there and drank a few IPAs and tended to the, to the burning flames. Okay. Oh, that's, that sounds lovely. Unfortunately, he had to chop up a wall of his house to feed the fireplace. Um, yeah, well, I was going to renovate anyways. I'm not saying that we didn't have a list of furniture that we were going to chop up in order, but, uh, you know, that, that list was there. Um... Unfortunately, Yaks did being Tut's euphemism for homeless derelicts. <laughs> no, dude, he lives in a fancy part of town. There's no homeless derelicts there. He found a few. They they bust him into Austin proper. Uh, well, well, folks, um, as you know, if you're out there somewhere with bad weather still, as it is February, we're going to keep you warm and toasty tonight with a a great tale of suspense, danger. And while we do it, we're going to smoke a premium cigar as we are wont to do and drink some delicious craft beers. And before we get into the cigar night, I'm going to let our resident beer expert and owner of O'Brien's Irish Pub in downtown historic Temple, Texas, tell you a little bit about what we're all drinking. Usually we all, of course, when we're gathered here in the corner of No Hope, we drink the same beer and compare our tasting notes uh, on that one singular beer that we paired beautifully with the movie and the cigar we don't get to do that anymore so we're all responsible for choosing our own beers and we'll see at the end of the night who's came out on top pairing wise with the cigar and yaks it is the floor is yours let's let's go to you first yaks what the hell are you drinking mr beer expert i've got i got a couple of choices i'm starting off with from a a smaller very recent uh thing uh, called the uh, Symbol Brewing Company. It is their Imperial Diesel Stout. Okay. Sounds it's, good. Uh, it's, just, it's just gasoline in a can. Right? All right. I like it. No, uh, to, to pair with the cigar and with the movie and, and to, to find something different, but I was like, you know, I notice it's not very colorful, but it, it I was like, all right, but the the actual, you know, the, the name of it, but it it is a white chocolate raspberry cheesecake with graham crackers. Hey, in combination, we're smoking the hot cake cigar. You're drinking a cheesecake beer. Yes. Now, that when I saw horrible. this, when I saw this in the little store, I'm like, all right, that's perfect. It's great. And you know, of course, the little symbol. I was like, you know, the, the books I've been reading, which I had a lot of free time last week to to read, uh-huh. and. Show off. Uh, like, Show off. I, I'm reading some like esoteric, like, you know, old, like almost occult type stuff. And I, and this is actually one of the symbols in the book. It's actually oh. from Hermetic teaching. If you're ever actually wondering, this is the old world. It's like the, the symbol of light, sign of light. So. Uh, Why did you just look off, off camera for a second? Is there a, is there a light shining over there? Did he say he was reading occult books? He yes. did, and then he's and then he saw a shining light, and then he disappeared. Disappeared. <laughs> Is this so, like that one movie that we did? Kind of like the host. Yeah. Know, he, yeah. Or or he has been confiscated by the Illuminati. Uh, with his esoteric symbol. Well, it's either the Illuminati or Samael, our our guest that uh, popped in on this. Uh, Man, I don't like this. Adios, Cody. That uh okay well uh he's uh he's the guy who can tell us about the beers and he has disappeared 
I love how none of us are that concerned. Moving on. <laughs> did, you guys, did you guys see that weird flash of light and him disappear into that void of darkness? Yeah, whatever. Okay. Um... <laughs> He's a tough guy. He can get it done. He can get it done. Uh, he'll be back. I have no doubt he'll be back. And you know what? While we wait, how about I jump ahead and introduce tonight's cigar? That sounds good. I'd like to fire this one up. Uh, tonight's cigar is called The Hot Cake by HBC. Uh, it is a five and five eighths by, uh, that can't be right. Uh, five and five eighths by four in my notes. That's, <laughs> that's the, tini- the tiniest ring gauge. Uh, 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 good going there. <laughs> How about five and five eighths by 46? That, that sounds about right. It feels about okay. right, too. That's how you save it. That's how you save it. Look at that quick. It's a five and five eighths by 46. The size is called the Corona Gorda. Um, it is a Mexican San Andres wrapper. Actually says it right there. Which I am a big, well, I threw away my cello. <laughs> I didn't have that handy. Uh, Mexican wrapper, which, uh, I know Tut and I are big fans of. Yep. Uh, a Nicaraguan binder. You're uh, two, good. two binder leaves. One from, uh, a Jalapa Corojo 99 and another Esteli Corojo 98. That's a bit unusual. And then the Nicaraguan filler is Viso Corojo 2006 Maduro. So a lot of potent leaves in this little guy we're about to smoke. Yeah, that's straight up barnyard smell right there. Nice, nice. Hayloft, good. Ooh, hayloft is a wonderful adjective for what I'm smelling. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm, mm-hmm. Doctor, remember the Friday 13th movies when they go up in the top of the barn and uh, pull those... That's that's what this smells like. Uh, all right, someone's about to get pitchforked. <laughs> teenage lust. That's what it smells. You know what happened like. to? Is that what happened to X? This smells like barnyard loft and teenage lust. <laughs> uh, it, that makes it box worthy. Uh, oh, and the foot is pure. Uh, man, pure barnyard horse manure. In a good way. In a good way. Dicing. <laughs> In the cigar world, if you smell manure, it's barnyard. <laughs> Yax, welcome back. Uh, I guess let me finish the introduction cigar, and then you can get us going with the with the beers, Yax. Um, we've never featured an HVC offering on the show before, so here's a little bit about the company. HVC was founded in 2011 by Rainier Lorenzo. It started as a way of paying homage to Havana City, where he lived for most of his life. Their goal is to keep the Cuban tradition of handmade cigars alive and well with products that are inspired by the cigar tradition of Cuba, specifically Havana City, HVC, uh, while incorporating the customs of their adopted U.S. home. HVC is committed to providing the finest leaves for Nicaragua for your enjoyment. Each cigar is a unique experience in and of itself. So that's all I got on the cigar tonight. Uh, this sucker appeared on the consensus and a lot of year-end uh, best of lists. I had been wanting to get my hands on one for a while. I like the the two binders and the I'm always a fan for the Mexican wrapper. So uh, I actually smoked the larger size in this the other night. So I'm interested to see how this compares. I had 
heard good things about the Corona Gorda. That's why I selected it for the show. Some folks think it's, thinks some folks' opinions are that it's the best Vitola to represent the blend. We'll be the judge of that. Uh, what are you getting on that cigar, Ted? Uh, some mineral uh, light on the light side of leather. Uh, and that's just kind of it. It's a, it's a nice little soft, uh, soft opening right now. No pepper blast, no nothing like that. Just nice soft. No hotcakes? Yeah, no, no hotcakes. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, it's your back. Officially, you're back. Yes. Right. Lay your cigar. I'll let you lay your cigar. Um, I, I'm good to go. No, all I was saying was for this is a very old symbol, but if you'll notice something, if you're a fan of, you know, the Harry Potter series, this is where uh, J.K. Rowling came up with the symbol for the Deathly Hallows. I knew. I knew it was a cult. I knew, from that beer? I knew Harry Potter was a cult. Well, no, from this symbol, not from the beer. I mean, I'm sure she drinks a lot. Or does now, anyways. Uh, interesting. Okay. But, and of course, you know, I didn't even think, I, I was like, you know, hey, this is great. It meets all my requirements. I, I did get another beer, but I was like, I should have really looked at this one, but I was like, it was, I was so enamored with the symbol and, and the, the flavor. Didn't look at it. It's 12%. So. No, no wonder you keep disappearing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's from the uh, called Symbol Brewing Company. It's a uh, a side project uh, of from the uh, Three Nations Brewing uh, Brewery, uh, located up in uh, there in uh, Dallas. Uh, the, the Three Nations uh, Brewing has been around since 2015. Symbol Brewing, which is an, kind of an offshoot of that, is only probably about a year old now. And so they their whole thing is to use different symbols for the beer. Not really has it's like. A, like I said, Imperial Diesel Stout. This thing is is pretty damn strong, but it's actually very sweet as well. Obviously, from the white With chocolate the, raspberry cheesecake. Cheesecake beer is sweet, eh? Mm. But hey, it, you know what? I was he is a beer expert. I was thinking, you know, it's like, oh, is it going to be like just terrible? It's like, but no, it's not actually. I mean, it it's still a, a it's a good stout so far. I mean, the 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 sweetness from the flavors is not like conflicting with it too much okay. I would say. okay uh real quick before we get to the next beer um man some nice pepper um uh some nice pepper spice on the nose not big time i was supposed to say wow uh, i'm missing that no it's it, it's there but it's not it, it's definitely not strong uh you know it's got some medium pepper i'm also getting a little bit of mint on the on the retro and then yeah Todd, i'm getting some leather uh some leather and a little bit of cocoa a little bit of cocoa on the draw, but but yeah, you're right. That leather is pretty dominant uh, so far. Okay, well let's go sideways. Let's go over to the doctor and talk about what that guy's drinking. The doctor is having from the wonderful Lakewood Brewery. Please and thank you, Pale Ale. Please and Lakewood thanks. Brewing, of course. My, what makes one of my favorite beers, the Temptress. Imperial Stout. I've never heard you talk about the Temptress. Oh, Temptress is fantastic. We've actually carried it numerous times at the pub. It is. If you ever, if you get a find it, see if you see the the Lakewood Temptress, I highly recommend getting it. Okay. I'm damn good. 
Okay. But the, uh, the, the please and thank you is 5.5% uh, uh, ABV and 35 IBUs. It is, it is just a pale ale, not an IPA, so it's not going to be nearly as hoppy. As I got to tell you, uh, in the pre-show, the doctor took his first sip and was taken aback at the flavor. He really liked it. I haven't seen that kind of uh, positive reaction from you with a beer in quite some time, Doc. Is it, is it over multiple uh, sips through a pint now? Is it still impressing you? Yes. Um, I've had several Lakewood offerings. Uh, they have an IPA, another IPA, and a lager. I think they had something called the Cold Front, which would have uh, made sense last week. I'm surprised it's low IBU, even though it's pale ale. This actually has a nice, I won't say bitter, but a very nice, uh, it's got some heft to it. Uh, I really don't know how to say it. It's got a real nice, strong ale taste to it uh, that I'm enjoying. Good. On the can, it says that it would be pair with cheese puffs, burgers, and sass mouth uh, are good pairings for the Please and thank you, American Pale Ale. I could see this going good with the burger. It's got a nice, it's got a nice. Uh, you had me know. until the pairing with Sass Mouth. I'm not well, that's some clip with Sass Mouth. Well, that's actually how I refer to you three: cheeseburger, cheese puffs, and Sass Mouth up in the corner up there. Thank God I made a uh, Sass Mouth. Yes, yeah, sorry, Ted. Um, okay, we'll have to track that one down. It's uh, uh, you were cheese puff. Oh really? And, <laughs> I was just flying by the seat of my uh -huh. my pants. Yep. Sorry. Uh, Yax, what is Tut drinking tonight? The good Tut is having the number 16 Brushy Creek Brown Ale from the Red Horn Coffee House and Brewing Company located there in Cedar Park. Tut, you've had a few of their offerings before, right? That is correct. I've had quite a few of their offerings. You own stock at Redhorn at this point. I might as well. It is your local brewery. Tell us a little bit about this one, Yance. Well, the good Redhorn uh, started way back in the past in 2015. Thanks. Uh, strong as well not, as not just beer, but coffee. Like I said, it is coffee house. Uh, the Brushy Creek, like I said, it is a brown ale. It's uh, rolling in at 6% ABV and 30 IBUs. They, of course, they're, they're using uh, a lot of flaked oats and chocolate malts in the brew, which will hopefully Tut will get some toasted grains, chocolate, and they also add a hint of caramel. A hint of caramel. This meets my expectation of a brown ale. I when it, yeah, cause I told him when I when I saw him uh, send you the the beer. Folks, we, we traveled the last few years across the country, uh, and we, we hit up just dozens of I local have scoured this nation. Everywhere we go, ales. we hit up a local brewery, and Tut hates brown ales. And every brewery we go to, the first beer he orders is their brown ale, and he always takes one sip and is like, it sucks. It's like, <laughs> of course it does. You hate brown ales. Why do you keep ordering these fucking things? But it's just like this running joke that this guy, and then he just suffers Yak Boy and I are just pounding down IPA after IPA. And he's just sitting there slowly slogging his way through this fucking brown ale. But you found one. You like this one. This one is the brown ale that I have been looking for. This is what brown ale should be. This is what brown ale should strive to. 
There are no other brown owls other than this brown owl. Do you think it's the flaky oats? Uh, yeah, it's the the flaky oats mixed with the uh, the caramel. Uh, there's a little bit more of a caramel taste. It kind of kind of sits the sits the uh, bitter down. It's good. It's just a hint of caramel though. It's not a lot. It's all right. It's enough. Okay. All right. I'll be interested to see how that one goes with uh, the cigar tonight. Oh, it's staying out of the way. I can tell you this right now. Is it? Uh, except there's a little bit of the the that little bitter of the brown is mixing nicely with the leather. Uh, so that's kind of, I guess that's why it's kind of bringing it out. I'm also trying to figure out whether it's the beer producing sort of a vegetable oil type taste. There's, I'm getting a lot of mineral and some vegetable off of the cigar. No, there's uh, actually a, a, a heavy mineral growing on the on the retrohale through the nose. That spice is is very medium, even maybe now kind of shifting down a little bit. And it's being overtaken. Originally, it was mint. It had kind of a real cool little mint thing, which has been replaced by a um, a mineral component. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the leather is is hanging hanging tight with that cocoa powder. I and actually then- I actually thought there for a second in my mind it popped up Liga Nine without the power uh, had that mineral presence of the of the nine. But it did, doesn't have that, you know. Well, it does have power. kind of a Liga-esque smoke profile. The smoke travels up the body of this cigar real sexy. Um, it's got a really nice, tight little ash, much like the Doctor. And uh, I, I am enjoying it. There's also like a uh, uh, a creaminess under that leather and and cocoa powder that I, I can't quite play. It's not like a coffee cream. It's just like a, a really light kind of cream component that's really cool uh i'm digging it i'm digging the cigar okay what made you pick how, how you work in the pairing wise uh doctor you obviously get a pass although i think maybe the please and thank you is was your way picking this beer of saying thank you to me for picking tonight's movie like god damn it Cade, you found another diamond in the rough please and thank you ahead of time we can go with that. We can tell that story. You're gonna you're gonna get a good pairing grade tonight, my friend. There uh, was a, there was another offering from Redhorn called the Laverne Stout. Uh, actually, it was Love Vern Stout. It was uh, named after one of the brewer's grandmothers, and in it, she was a big fan of sheet cake, and so they made they brewed it with actual uh, sheet cake in it. But I was like. I cannot do another imperial stout, candied up, sheet cake, all this stuff. Uh, so I was just looking through there, and frankly, I just saw the brown brown ale, and I'm like, I'm going for the brown ale no matter what to test this out, test my theory. But I can say that one of our characters does get knocked into a brushy creek. That's true. And uh, several of our characters have brown hair. So there you go. And I believe in the main house in the film, the kitchen cabinets are a, a kind of a brown uh, color. Todd, I admire your perseverance in your years long effort to find the perfect brown ale. There's no such thing as a bad style of beer. There's just a style you haven't appreciated yet. All right. I'm working on that. I'm working on it. I've, a very positive attitude i've got some people that i'm 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 sourcing it Uh, i'll uh i'll let that go all right uh yaks uh my first beer up i also have two offerings tonight but my first we've actually featured this on the show before i believe yes breakfast 
Founders uh, Breakfast Stout. It is a wonderful, wonderful oatmeal stout. Uh, rolling in at a, at a very nice 8.3% ABV and uh, 60 IBUs. A little, little high on, on, the, on the stout for the bitterness, but uh, Founders uh, is probably the uh, started back in uh, 97. So they've been going strong. Uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan. And uh, of course, from breakfast, the breakfast out is, you know, strong on the coffee flavor. Yeah, it is, but it doesn't bother me like a lot of stuff. I'm not a stout guy like like Tut and, and you, Yags. Uh, but I remembered liking this one. Um, it's just balanced. It's got a real, I think the, the, increased, the increased hops, uh, I like the bite. Well, it's not hoppy. That bite kills a lot of the, the stuff I don't like about stouts. But you're right. It's a very coffee-poured stout, but it's smooth. It's really smooth, and I like it a lot. And obviously, hot cake, cigar, breakfast. Stout. I think everyone got that one. I like how it's structured to get you to start <laughs> drinking in the morning. You've got exactly. a long way ahead of you. Breakfast stout. <laughs> Show some guy's alarm going off at 6 a.m. He's like, ugh, gets up. Nope, one shoe, nope, grabs a breakfast out. I actually bought bought these for the show last week during right before the snowpocalypse. And because I was iced in, I actually drank them all for breakfast. I had to go out and find some more. Uh, hey, what happens in the snowpocalypse stays in the snowpocalypse. And I feel like a big asshole for saying snowpocalypse so much. The polar vortex. That's not bad. That's not bad. Uh, okay. Well, uh, we got what three stouts and uh, the doctor's beer. Three very different types of stouts. So uh, we'll see how they. This is a brown ale. This is not a stout. Oh, I'm sorry. That's right. A brown ale. I'm sorry. It's the stout's redheaded stepchild. <laughs> brownheaded stepchild. Brownheaded stepchild. Hey, I was a brownheaded stepchild. Look how I turned out. <laughs> Uh, okay. Uh, Tut, the cigar. Um, I'm sorry, Yak Boy. We already heard from Tut. Yak Boy, what are you getting off this thing? Well, I, I agree with you. Right when I lit up, I mean, little, little blast touch of pepper there. You'd mentioned some mint, and I got none of that. But I also think my stout I am drinking that sweetness I'm getting is totally canceling that out. Uh, I mean, the, the cold draw, I mean, a little bit of leather, that, that manure was there, but then, of course, lit up. And like I said, I, I like that little pepper blast. It's, it's, it's since died down. I don't think you're going to taste anything in the cigar tonight yet. <laughs> I'm no. probably, I'm, I'm hoping that it's going to, this is going to wear down and my palate's going to return somewhat. But, you know, it is, I mean, I'll, I'll say this much. I mean, it's, it is like oh, solid yeah. construction. I mean, that. It is a stack of dimes. Yeah, it's it's got a beautiful burn going. Um, okay. Still a little worried about two of you using the word manure in your description. It, it, in the cigar world, it's called barnyard. You, you and the actual said manure. Um, are y'all aware that it, how's this for timing? Today is National Pancake Day? I was not aware of that. How's that for being fortuitous, huh? 
it really crept up on me this year. National Pancake Day crept up on you this year. Crept up on me. Craped up on. Oh God. <laughs> Yaks, do you know how cannibals eat pancakes? Um, they, just, they just wait by tall buildings. Speaking of cigars, uh, now that we've got them going, you know who makes some really good ones, Tut? Who? <laughs> right. My enthusiastic friend. Our good friends over at Drew State. And one of the most delicious offerings in their vast portfolio is the Herrera Steli Miami, mm. crafted by level nine Cuban rollers at the famed El Titan de Bronze on Calle Ocho. The Herrera Steli Miami line is expertly rolled with a lavish Ecuadorian Habano Oscuro wrapper over a rich Ecuadorian Sumatran binder. With select fillers from the Dominican Republic and Nicaragua, the new look of Herrera Steli Miami features a rich black and gold packaging, and it's available in five sizes. This delicious cigar is now available at Drew Diplomat retailers everywhere, so go get some. And I delivered some to Tut and Yaks this week. Yes, you did. We're going to be featuring this bad boy on the show. Uh, I'm excited about that one. It's it's a it's a cool little cigar, and I can't wait to get you guys' take on it. All right. Tonight's film, the third part of our triangle of radness that we do for you folks every two weeks, the film, Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker, 1981, also known as Night Warning, which a lot of the posters and a lot of times you'll see it, but for my money, Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker is a much more badass title. Oh, yeah. So I, I was definitely going to go with that. The film is written by Steve Beamer, Alan J. Gluckman, and Boone Collins. Boone was, Collins. Boone Collins, not Bootsy Collins. That would be a movie I really want to see. But no, <laughs> Boone Collins. And it was directed by William Asher, a man with a vast filmography, to say the least. Not only did William Asher direct the 1965 Frankie Avalon, Annette Funicello classic, Beach Blanket Bingo, Oh, God. He went from that to this. But he also helmed an episode of the original Twilight Zone, season one. That's impressive. Two episodes of The Dukes of Hazard, 102 episodes of I Love Lucy, and 131 episodes of the original Bewitched. Now, folks, that's a lot of content. That's a lot of TV, and I barely scratched the surface. Like, this guy's career was off the charts. Um now, you folks at home might be asking yourselves, why did a world-renowned pairing expert such as myself choose tonight's film to pair with the hotcake cigar? Because on the surface, Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker doesn't really lend itself to hotcakes. And I'm going to uh, expose my naivety here uh, for your entertainment. I imagine you guys are going to laugh at me, but it's I'm always transparent and honest with you uh, folks at home and you boys here in the TNCC. Well, except for that whole world-renowned thing, but go ahead. Uh, no, a website said that. My website. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm playing out the show and my significant other who never really asks me about what we're up to and what I'm doing or whatever. And... She doesn't want to know. <laughs> But the, the, the cigar is very distinct. I had them laying out, and, you know, it's real big, bold letters, um, hot cake. And she's like, oh. So, like, for the first time in five years, she asks, oh, what do you pair? What movie are you doing? And I'm like, 
uh, got a perfect movie. Uh, Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker. Baker. And she was like, yeah, but like bakers make like cakes and I'm like, yeah, hotcakes. <laughs> and she looks at me and she's known me long enough. She, she kind of just stops. She's like, you don't know what a hotcake is, do you? And I'm like, well, it's like a dessert, like a, a little cake. <laughs> and she's like, no, it's, it's a pancake. It's another name for pancakes. It's like Stevie cakes. You know, my Stevie cakes. That's what they call them. I've never heard the term hotcakes before referred to pancakes as hotcakes. I was completely oblivious to that. You need, Are to, you, you need to spend more we time just, at Denny's and Pancake House. Yeah, I, guess what? It's the international. Oh my goodness, I'm a good lord. McDonald's even called them hotcakes. It's like the international the house of pancakes, not the international house of hotcakes. That'd be but I they're hot. still I technically hot. cakes. It's batter. They're out of business now anyway, so it doesn't matter. But I, I've I've heard hotcakes for I, I love pancakes. I am a pancake lover. See, see, I'm a waffle man. I never order pancakes. Uh that there those are fighting words. Uh <laughs> no, I, teach his own, teach his own. Just... Uh I, I'm a pancake lover, so I, I had known they were known as hotcakes. Yeah. Nancy, have you <laughs> ever had my banana peanut butter pancakes? Were you asking me if I'd? Nah, yeah, I can't remember if. Uh, no, that was I've... me and the me and the axe. I think you fed us your. Oh, okay. uh, they right? were delicious. Yeah, they were really good. I now that it. I know that the doc is a, a pancake aficionado, I'm going to have to test my skills. Yeah. All right, you can go for the either the uh, peanut butter, uh, the peanut butter banana, which is my my forte, the blueberry, which is. I'm still working on it, and then the uh, lemon poppy seed of its springtime. I would be into the blueberry, except for the fact that you said you're still working on it, which means you have <laughs> kinks that you need to work out. No, 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 no. It's about 90% there. And my 90% on on hot cakes, pretty good. I'll take it. And Tut, you can call them pancakes, hot cakes, or flapjacks. I know what you're talking flapjacks, about. Flapjacks, there you go. That's the one I like. Well, see, we, we called flap, something else flapjacks in high school, and I... That that's gonna be our big spring break episode. Man, tackle that one. Did did your basketball coach have you do naked jumping jacks? That's why you're calling them flapjacks. No, he did something to Cade called flapjacks, and that's a legal matter pending. <laughs> yeah, and my mom marched up to that school and said, "Leave my little pancake alone." <laughs> uh, so yes, yeah, so I didn't know what hotcakes were. Okay, I thought they were a little chocolate cake for dessert. Sue me. I got a lot of other important things going on in this brain. I'm contacting my lawyers right now. <laughs> Am I in some kind of trouble for not knowing what hotcakes are? You could be. Damn it. All right. Well, let's dig into this movie, and maybe it'll all make sense in the end. We can, all, we can always hope, right? All right. You know, sometimes there are fortuitous mistakes. I am not getting any kind of pancake uh, coming off the cigar, other than... Um, that that chocolate, that cocoa note with the leather on the draw that I'm getting, it, it's well below the leather. It's right there with that cream. I'm um, not getting any cocoa on that at all. No, yeah. So you get any cocoa with that leather on the draw? Cocoa. Well, you the got cream? like three. You got three kinds of chocolate in your beard. <laughs> well, okay. I'm detecting notes of delicious raspberry and graham cracker. This cigar. Oh wait, it's the beer. 
And you're I eating. Told you about, I haven't even told you about the other beer yet. And you're eating a Twix. I saw you take a bite of that. Can't prove it. Not to mention his beer was made by a secret society. So yeah, Freemasons <laughs> run the country. Uh, but I will say the the breakfast uh, stout is staying out of the way of the the cigar. Yeah, um, like you said, it's completely two different profiles. Um, my next beer is going to be interesting to see how that interacts. Uh, I got a doozy for my follow up, uh, but we'll see. Let's get in this movie. I'm dying. Hit I'm it. Dying to talk to you boys about this movie. First of all, had any of you three heard of this movie? Never before? even heard of it. No. Never. Really, Doc? Actors you haven't. Some of the actors in it, yes. But Jax, you hadn't? I knew it. I, I knew I was going to get you guys tonight. That's crazy. I, I expect me to be full, be stumped on a horror movie, but not you guys. I, I recognize a ton of actors in here. Sure, but it's, of course. There's a lot of... We're going to talk about a lot of familiar faces. Um, this is an obscure one, Tut. I, I pride myself on knowing these things. I, I had not heard of this by either title. Ever seen it, ever heard about it. So uh, I'll give I'll give Cade credit for unearthing this thing. Well, thank you, Doc. Uh, let's get right to it. We kick things off in 1967 with a young married couple, Anna and Bill Lynch, packing up their car for a road trip and leaving their young toddler son, Billy Jr., with Anna's sister, his aunt Cheryl. Well, she seems kind enough until the movie freeze frames on her face as she watches Billy's parents drive off as she whispers to the little boy how much she loves him. And the happy-go-lucky family music that's been playing suddenly turns sinister as well. Doctor, we usually don't freeze frame on nice, sweet characters' faces in these movies. No, and she has an evil, lascivious grin on her face, too, that lets you know it's, something troublesome is afoot. If you're watching a horror film and somebody freeze frames on your face, you're probably not going to be a good a good person. <laughs> well, well, you know, the question I had is, like, depending on, like, which title you went with, like, I mean, if they went, you know, with the, the, the Butcher Baker, if they went with the other one. So, like, it immediately sets the tone because I was like, when I sat down and I started watching, I was like, all right, what's the whole point of this? What did Kate? And all of a sudden, she turns and she's her face is all like, meh. Yeah, like, it's kind oh, of a. I thought I it was kind of bad guy. I thought it was kind of too soon to give that kind of audience that kind of heads up on on what's going on with this chick, but we'll we'll, we'll see. Well, Anna and Bill Senior aren't gone long before their brakes go out while traveling along a steep mountain road, and after an impressive amount of crazy stunt driving, where they narrowly miss crashing into several oncoming cars. They finally do crash into the back of a lumber truck with a giant log bursting through their windshield and taking Bill's face clean off his head. Anna survives the impact, but when the lumber truck truck swerves, it sends their crumpled car flying off the mountain, soaring off the mountain, and down into a goalie where we see it rest for a few seconds and then <laughs> she gets five. She gets five. Yeah, like, Boom. She'll nope. be okay. She'll still be okay. rest for a few seconds, but it literally, it's like five, you know, they're just counting down. It's like some smoke and so I take some photos of the forest over here. Let's go back to the car. Oh yeah. It explodes now. Just, I thought it was a really tightly orchestrated action sequence, them driving down that thing and him swerving, and there was like oncoming cars that they just barely met. I thought it was a really good little... I thought it was a good little run there. It was. You think I liked that... it, but it kept making me think of Toonsis, the cat who could drive a car. Toonsis, <laughs> <laughs> so weird. Uh, do you think perhaps William Asher learned a thing or two directing those episodes of Dukes of Hazard? Maybe he brought some of that 
Only today. thing missing was a Waylon Jennings voiceover. Now, folks, that's flat as a pancake. <laughs> oh, when the car is going out right over the, that's when they should have just like pre-framed slow it. Slow motion. Just <laughs> Ann and Bill are in hot water. Now they're gonna be hotcakes. <laughs> Doesn't that just flip your flapjack? <laughs> hey, as a Chicago Bears fan, though, I couldn't help but notice did you, when their car was riding, did you hear the radio? Because it was 67, the, yeah, uh, they, uh, the sports radio the was talking about how the Green Bay Packers just won another Super Bowl and how they're on top and all that. And I was just, I was listening to it and I was like, yeah, all those Green Bay fans thought we we're going to have another one of those this year. Oops. Yeah, they fucking blew it. Losers. <laughs> Oh, sorry. Uh, and I apologize to all our loyal Wisconsin listeners. We love you guys. We just don't we, like Aaron Rodgers. We just don't like Aaron Rodgers. We hate him the way he hates his family. <laughs> Personally, I don't have anything against the man, but continue. We cut to 14 years later, where Aunt Cheryl is now waking up 16-year-old Billy to start a school day. After snooping through his wallet on his nightstand and frowning at the condom she finds tucked away in there, she crawls into his bed and starts purring like a kitten in his ear and gently scratching his back with her fingernails. And the disturbing aspect of the movie begins. (laughs) Y'all Zan ever wake you up like that? No. Yeah, me neither. Uh, well, Billy's running late to pick up his girlfriend, Julie, so he has to skip the plate of hotcakes that his aunt prepared for him. Boom! No, that's bullshit. There's no hotcakes. I, I, I just made, I made that up. Uh, he asks Aunt Cheryl if Julie can come to his birthday dinner tomorrow night, but Cheryl says she will be his one and only dinner date. All right, whatever makes you happy, Billy says. You Get make me ha- you make me happy, Billy, she says as he walks out. Getting weirder. And the basketball s- star Billy dribbles his balls right out of the kitchen. Or his ball. What I say? Dribbles his balls? His yeah. ball. His ball. There's a lot of sexual stuff innuendos in this movie. Sorry if I screw up. He dribbles a singular ball out of the kitchen. There's a nice match cut. Tut, you're an editor. I know you like this. When Billy's pulling out his driveway on his moped, he throws the basketball up, and as it goes towards the backboard in his driveway, we cut to the backboard in the gymnasium at school with it bouncing off and going in. That's a, I, I can really respect a good match cut because they're not easy to pull off. You've got to kind of frame things the right way. Yeah, yeah. you got to get match- your trigonometry on. It was a really good match cut. You just got to make sure the shit looks the same. But you're right. Trigonometry comes into play. <laughs> Billy's girlfriend, Julie, played by actress Julia Duffy, who was one of, on one of my childhood favorite shows, Newhart. She was uh, married to Peter Scolari. Uh, they were always coming over to the bed and breakfast that Newhart ran. I don't remember. Um, she was also on Designing Women, that show. Um, but I, I just I just grew up with her. She was really cute on, on Newhart. Um She's a photographer, uh, and she's taking action shots of her favorite subject, the shirtless, sweaty Billy. Billy's playing circles around his teammates, despite the coach shouting at the opposing defense, watch your back doors, don't let them through. He said it, go back and watch it. Uh, and Bi- Billy is finessing the ball right around him. This really irks his teammate, Eddie, 
the wrong way. Eddie doesn't like Billy and the special attention Billy gets from Coach Landers one bit. And Eddie is, of course, played by the one and only... William Paxton. Bill Paxton, baby. Man, I love this dude. Believe it or not, this is Paxton's first speaking role in a major motion picture. The only screen credit he had on film before this was he played a drunken soldier in the movie Stripes, the Bill Murray yeah. movie. Uh, but it's just a, a quick cameo at like the mud wrestling thing. He's like, yeah. Uh, but this is his first speaking role on film. That's reason, that's reason alone to watch this movie. I didn't quite get him here. I got him in the other scene later on. You didn't uh, get the no, I was, I was, I thought it was. I was like, man, that sounds like him. That almost looks like him, but surely that's not him. But oh, then, then later on, I was like, oh, yeah, that's Bill. Memorialized by the Tuesday Night Cigar Club with the booting. Oh, I'm, I'm positive we filled up a boot for him. We did. Um, are you? I've, are I've you... always loved him. He's, he's a great actor. Since we met last time. time uh, are you guys okay, Yak Boy? That we didn't fill the boot for Screech from Say Bye Bill. I'm I'm fine with that. I was sad to hear it, but I... it's always sad to hear when someone passes away. But I, I didn't think it was worth even. Especially his age, which is our age. Yeah, that just gets kind of sad. Man. <laughs> um, so I hope that doesn't happen. <laughs> you got to take care of yourselves, folks. <laughs> Speaking of Coach Landers, that night at dinner, Billy tells Aunt Cheryl that Coach told him that a scout was coming from the University of Denver, and there might be a chance of Billy getting a full scholarship. But Cheryl isn't having it. She already has a job lined up for Billy next year, and besides that, she says, college is for rich kids and people with brains you wouldn't fit in. Out. Me thinks Aunt Cheryl is unfamiliar with a little school where no brain power is needed called Stephen F. Austin University. Uh, and making friends just a lot when of heart billy, and constitution when billy persists cheryl becomes highly emotional screaming that she sacrificed everything to take care of him the last 14 years and he owes it to her to stick around and contribute for a change but he wants to get that scholarship to go off to denver u with julie and there's nothing cheryl can do to stop it well this it sounds selfish self-absorbed and ungrateful just like those sam houston pricks Oh, dude, if, if there's anybody on this God's green earth that's selfish, it's Sam Houston people. I mean, there's a moment of pure honesty coming from me. You don't get that. Oh, wait, I just said how transparent and honest I was with everybody. I'm, I'm so confused. Damn you, breakfast stout. Well, this pushes his aunt over the brink, and she slaps the shit out of him, and he tells her, I'm out of here. And she says, you're taking that job and you're making your own goddamn dinner. Okay. This scene rang a little too close to home for me as my mother kept me from taking a basketball scholarship that could have seriously made my life turn out. I, I don't, I don't recall that happening. But there was no way her little pancake was going to leave the nest till she was ready. Oh no. Didn't so y'all get schooled by a bunch of people in Nicaragua? Moving on. That's that's hearsay and rumors, and and yaks yaks I believe libel, is that that's yes. slander that's slander. Yes, we dribbled it a little bit. Well, we had drool dribbling out of our mouths as we tried to run down the court once. 
Um, I'll just stop that ball a few times from going out of bounds. With your face. <laughs> Line from Naked Gun 33 and a third. I like my sex like I like my basketball. One on one and with as little dribbling as possible. As Aunt Cheryl grabs a tray full of pickled vegetables and heads down to the cellar, who doesn't like that? Pickled tomatoes. Uh, she's talking to herself along the way, mumbling, can we take a second here before th- things go full-blown nuts very soon and talk about just how good Susan Tyrell is in this film as Aunt Cheryl? Oh, absolutely. Her IMDb profile describes her as a bizarre, gloriously one-of-a-kind Hollywood gypsy and self-affirmed outcast. And she reminds me a lot of another Hollywood outcast who played one of our favorite on-screen psychos here on the podcast, Wings Hauser. Her performance reminds me a lot of Wings and the Carpenter that we did, but elevated. I mean, she does a lot more range-wise here and uh, visual choices. I mean, she's all over the place. We're going to surely talk more about her later, but goddamn, does this lady rule or what? I thought she did a great job of dancing that line between uh, sexy and psycho. She's awesome. And I, I, I honestly, she, uh, I think, either won an Oscar or had been nominated for an Oscar at one point. But for the most part, just took kind of bizarre, smaller stuff and... My God, she's a revelation in this thing. It's fun. I mean, she's fun in this. Uh, it's just, she's a good little good little wa- uh, actress to watch. Doctor, have you, have you ever seen her, Amy? Not that I could recall. Uh, clearly, there's, obviously, this is coming out after the first Friday the 13th, so Betsy Palmer played Mrs. Voorhees in that one, and I had seen where, like, she had been described as, like, performance as bravura and tour de force and all that this this chick runs circles around betsy palmer he just goes nutso and uh just unbelievably i mean to do what she did the balance between the different emotions that the character goes through yeah green talent to be able to do that kind of thing oh yeah and she's not bipolar she's like tripolar in this thing yeah i'm actually i'm actually more impressed with this early her, her character early on and her acting early on I mean, once we get into full-blown, you know, Nutsville, that's okay. But it was this subtlety to where she was just mixing all that different stuff together just in these little bitty little scenes. It's really cool. The only it, thing that I, I didn't recognize her <coughs> from anything, but I did look her up on IMDb. And so as soon as, and as, soon as I saw this, I recognized the voice. So I'm wondering, this is early '80s. I'm definitely, I'm definitely gonna go that Yaks is aware of this, but this was one of my favorite uh, early '80s, not PG-rated cartoon. Remember Fire and Ice? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. So Yaks, Susan Terrell is the voice of Juliana, the evil uh... mother of the, the Ice Lord guy. Yes, I'm. I'm. I'm big fan. I love the the '80s, the the American animations. Fire and Ice was one of those. Did a phenomenal job. Uh, Ice. What I recognized her from immediately was I did the Johnny Depp movie Crybaby. She played. Oh yeah. She was in that. And I and it took me a second because obviously in the in the Crybaby she had like black hair and all that 
different makeup, but I was like, as soon as she started talking, I'm like, oh, it just clicked. Who is she but, in Crybaby? Because I've seen that movie a few times. Uh, she was like the mother of the greasers or whatever they were called. Okay, I'm going to have to go back and see that. I, I've seen that a few times. I, I kind of like, as far as like a quirky, crazy, obviously John Waters. Oh, she's got she's got John Waters written all over. I'm surprised he didn't put her in all his films. Tut, what the hell are you giggling about? So my wife shoots me this text. She was like, uh, our, our Google's going wild. Uh, and I was like, what? And she was like, yeah, it's low, It's uh, sounding off all the McDonald's that are around us and giving the menu to it. The only thing I can think of is that it's somehow because my phone's tied into the because we were talking about house, hot we were talking about hotcakes. <laughs> All right, carry on. We just refer to it as hotcakes. How many times can we say hotcakes? Isn't that scary? It does nothing but order it. Screw you, George Soros. Is that accurate? Am I saying the right thing? You are. Okay, okay. Well, like a lot of crazy people, Aunt Cheryl runs very hot and cold. So the next next thing you know, Tut's going to get things for that McBLT. <laughs> hot side hot, cold side cold. <laughs> uh, so the next morning, she wakes up Billy with a birthday card that tells him, good luck with the scholarship. Happy 17th birthday. She just needed a little time is all to take it in. But he's in a hurry... He's in a hurry once again, so he has to skip the celebratory birthday hotcakes that she made him for breakfast and head out the door. They were in the background. I saw that plate of hotcakes. Yeah. Doctor, you saw them. Do any of you guys know how many, serious question, how many hotcakes, a.k.a. pancakes, apparently, IHOP restaurants serve in one calendar year in America? No, Four billion. No, seriously. Four billion? Yes. Just in America. Just in America. This isn't a joke. I actually looked this up. I was curious. Oh. Four and a half billion. Four and a half billion. Tut? Sounds good. It's not quite that impressive, but it is impressive. 700 million pancakes a year they serve. That was before the coronavirus because I think they've That's really suffered. That's true. The uh, I hop here in my uh, town. Uh, is no longer open. Oh, dang, man. I have a soft spot for IHOP and Pancake House. I was always partial to Pancake House to begin to. I'm a Waffle House fan myself. Waffle House, another good one. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I, think yeah, that's yeah. The, I think that's the actual name of the. I don't think yeah, I don't think there is a Pancake House. The, the I associated as Pancake House. The place you were so fond of that you couldn't remember the name. But I was more I'm more partial to it. Well, to the be ye- fair, the yellow the the yellow building with the house on the side of it. To be fair, most times when you're in a Waffle House, most people are so intoxicated they don't remember the name of where they are. Uh, that's a lot of hotcakes, though. A year, seven hundred million. Yeah, yeah. Jeez. Man, I, got, I could go for some right now. I heard I that. Be- uh, well, real quick before we get to the movie, uh, as Billy has, has run off to school on his big 17th birthday, uh, Tut, the cigar, you get anything different? No, it's pretty much staying consistent. The mint for me at the halfway mark has come back on the on the retro hail. It's, it's the faint pepper, um, yeah. a little bit of mint. 
and mineral. And then on the draw, I'm still getting the leather and cocoa. The creaminess has, has faded away. There's a, a little bit of, um, it's kind of a breadiness. Maybe some Tut would describe as graham, like a cracker underneath the leather and the cocoa. Um, Any lingering cow shit? No, 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 that was just strictly on, strictly on the aroma, Doc. Man, I'm just surprised that I'm missing out on that pepper. To me, it is so, so low-key that I even hesitate putting it in there. Construction has been amazing so far. Uh, it, it's drawing like a champ, straight burn line. Uh, no complaints there whatsoever. Uh, Yaks, you enjoying it? Yeah, there's a lot of pepper there on that retro. See, he's getting the pepper. It's like also. a white pepper. Yeah, no, that, I mean, it's like a real that, subtle. That's kind of what I'm thankful for in comparison to the, my beer is that that pepper for me has been the defining characteristic thus far. <laughs> that's the only flavor. That's the only flavor that your beer doesn't have. Literally, beer has two thousand flavors in it. Pepper's not one of them. That's why you can pick up on it. Uh, real, uh, yeah, it's real a, quick. I have uh, decided to shift gears uh, at the halfway mark of the cigar to my second beer. Ah, uh, yes. I've had Brown enough. Shoes. I've Base had enough cake. of the stout. I want to see how my beloved IPAs uh, tackle this bad boy. Tell me something about this beer. Yes, yes. Space Cake. Uh, it is a double IPA from Clown Shoes Brewing. Uh, Clown Shoes located in wonderful Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, started back in a glorious 2009. It is Space Cake. Uh, it's 9% ABV and 90 IBUs. Yeah. I haven't had a sip yet. I'm waiting for the head to die down. So you I, need I to take a take a lesson from George W. when he was like, "Fool me once, shame on me. Wait, shame on you. Wait, fool me twice." Fool me shame once, on shame me. on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Dude, you fool hate me, clown shoes. Fool me three times, you might be a member of the Tuesday Nights at Park Club broadcast. <laughs> yeah, I do hate clown shoes. I've never had a good clown shoes beer. But hey, we're smoking the hotcakes. It's the space cake. You IPA. know what? I, I'm sorry for saying that because I have traveled this entire nation buying brown ales across it until I... <laughs> yeah, who the fuck are you to talk? Uh, I will say the, the aroma of this thing... Is everything I look for? It's fruity. It's citrusy. Oh man. Okay. Let me take a sip. Space cake is probably my favorite clown shoes beer. Yaks, you said that when I sent you the beer, and I think I finally have Tut scored with his brown ale. I everything's think I coming up TNCC. Everything's coming up TNCC, baby. I this is pretty good. Oh, hey, yes. I'm not sure you should talk to Beethoven that way. <laughs> you leave Tut's hairstyle alone. I love it. <laughs> it does have an Amadeus uh, vibe to it. I'm not going to deny it. Dude, this is this is really smooth. I, 90 IBUs, my ass. There's, there's no 90 IBUs. Well, that's what they say. I, I, I'm always iffy nowadays. People say like the IBUs, it's 110. No, it's high. I, I'd put it, seven, you know, high 70s. But man, Why really, the mustache there, Hoss. Really, yeah, it's got. Look yeah, at that. Funny I mean, shot. It's got a generous head. 
much like the doctor. Uh, man, it's got a really full-bodied, uh, lots of citrus. Uh, the hops are delicious. It's got a really, the aroma on this thing is fantastic. I finally got a clown shoes and white, man. I, I think this is going to play okay with the cigar. We'll see. But let's get back to the movie. That's why we're here. Well, it's one of three reasons we're here. Let's move away from those other two reasons and get back to the third. Well, back to the house. TV repairman Phil Brody uh, has just finished fixing Cheryl's television when she tries to seduce the man. She walks over to him and lifts her dress up and rubs her crotch in his face and says he can do whatever he wants to her. Nothing but, subtle about this at all. But Brody isn't interested in this one bit. She's super persistent and super horny. So finally, he says, she can do him on her knees if she really insists, and he unzips his fly. But Cheryl apparently isn't into pleasuring him without any jollies for herself. So she slaps Brody across the face, and as he's, he grabs his toolbox and leaves, uh, she grabs a giant butcher knife and rams it in his back. She then pulls the blade out of his back and stabs it into his neck just as Billy arrives home from school and sees the bloodbath taking place through the kitchen window. He races inside to find a hysterical Aunt Cheryl claiming that Brody tried to rape her as she rubs her bloody hands all over Billy's face. As Lord Alfred Tennyson once said, some bitches be crazy indeed. Did he, did he say that? Yeah, it's in, it's in the annals. Charge the light brigade, huh? Okay. Uh, man, she really slices and dices this dude. Um, she does not take rejection well. No, no. Cheryl's best friend, Margie, and her husband Frank show up a short time later, and when they walk in the kitchen and discover Brody, they showed up for the big 17th birthday party. And when they discover Brody's dead body, and aunt and nephew standing there. Did they there, show up with a cake? Margie's not showing up without a cake. Gotta repay those pickled tomatoes. Somehow. Just saying, hot a cake. Hot, a hot cake. It was. It was still warm. I could tell. Uh. They see Aunt and Nephew standing there over Brody's body covered in blood. It's time to call the cops. I like Billy just literally hanging there with a knife. Like... <laughs> He's still, dude, it's been like hours and they're just frozen there. Did anybody recognize Margie? No. From TNCC history? No. Uh -uh. This is a good one. It was driving me crazy where I had seen Margie before. The actress's name is Marsha Lewis. And she's really great in this. But I couldn't stop racking my brain on why she seems so damn familiar. Think back to episode 99 of the podcast. We featured the classic film Ice Pirates. She's the porny frog lady. Oh. <laughs> yes. She's the frog she, lady that's that's always trying to bang Robert Urich. Oh, man, that's a good uh, idea. How'd you figure that out? I just couldn't. I just couldn't. I couldn't. I was like, I've seen her before. I, 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 it's killing me. I know I didn't figure it out like on my own. Like I finally went to IMDb and like, okay. duh, 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 duh. oh, Frog Lady. That's where I know her from. I figured Ty, you would recognize her because I remember after that show, you told me in confidence whenever Frog Lady was on screen, you got a big boner. Dude, dude, come on. You're not supposed to talk about that. I guess I'm in confidence after all. 
Oh, you told me in confidence. That means, okay. Hey, my bad. You know what? I'm going to tell my therapist. All bets are off. No no privilege. Go ahead. No, no, no. Write, write your book. Uh, that sounds dangerous. Uh, enter the local police force. And what a police force it is. So now the cops are at Aunt Cheryl's house, and this is when the movie gets really cooking, like a big old pan of hotcakes. Uh, Tut, do you know what a panda bear uses to make pancakes? No, stop it and just get on with the damn movie. A pan? Duh. <laughs> Yax likes it. No, Tut's laughing. Tut, oh God, Tut, Tut just did seppuku. He just, he just cut his own belly open. I was debating it. <laughs> we knew this day would come. We prepared for it. Wait a minute. Seppuku is for honor killing. There is no honor in this. I know. There's, there's no honor here. Sergeant Cook is on the scene first, and he's played by character actor Britt Leach, who's been in a ton of things, but I'll always remember him as the prone to being struck by lightning bolts Reg in the great outdoors. That's where I knew struck it from. 66 times. I knew that. I the end of the movie when we got 67. I knew this that, like, dude, and I never did it. Alana thing going. Well, of course, he was Reg in Great Outdoors, Kate, but he was also Ira, the toy store owner in Silent Night. Silent Night, which we will be uh, featuring, uh, what, 10 months from now on our big Christmas episode. <laughs> we actually featured our last Christmas episode, but we failed to turn on the microphone, so we didn't get to, you don't get to hear that one. We're going to do it again this Christmas. It's going to be even better than last year, and he will still be in that movie. <laughs> I love this guy. He's been in a ton of stuff, but uh, yeah, he'll always be Reg from Great Outdoors. Well, he's not buying attempted rape one bit, and neither is his boss, Detective Joe Carlson. It sure wasn't his day. Poor guy didn't even get his pecker out, Carlson says, as all the cops laugh, as the rape victim is sitting right there. Jeez. Even though they're right that it wasn't rape, it still seems way too quick to be that skeptical of Cheryl's story. They've done no evidence. They've done nothing but just show up at the scene like, nah, there's no rape. The guy's peckering even out. It was the 80s. That was police work in 1981. It was, it was 1981, I suppose. Detective Joe Carlson, this literal towering mountain of a man, is played by Swedish tough guy Bo Svensson who took over the iconic role of Buford Pusser in the Walking Dead Tall, the Walking Tall sequels. Uh, okay, that's all right. After, uh, was it Joe Don? Uh, Joe Don Baker. Joe Don Baker. Uh, Bo took over as Buford Pusser in those movies. He also started one of my favorite made-for-TV movies as a kid, Snow Beast, about an abominable snowman. That's on Amazon Prime. you got to go see that. And he's worked steadily, mainly in action films and TV ever since. He was in the original Inglorious Bastards. He was in Delta Force with Chuck Norris. Uh, he pops up a lot. Folks at home, you might recognize him, some of our younger viewers. He was the reverend in Kill Bill who presided over the bride's wedding, which, okay. well, that, that didn't turn out good for anybody. But uh, he, he, he was the, the preacher in that scene. He even had a cameo in the Inglorious Bastards, the Tarantino one. Correct. He also made a, a in Tarantino's remake, or not remake, it was nothing like the original, but he, he also showed up in the, the new Inglorious Bastards. Uh, I have always dug this guy. I mean, he's just a 
fucking giant. I just uh, like that voice, man. He's just got and he's a got cool a hell of a voice. hell of a voice. Uh, tonight, when I read his lines, I will not do it just. I can't do a deep, gravelly voice unless I do a Trace Atkins voice, and I'm not going to do that for this guy. So, uh, man, this is two two episodes in a row where we featured some iconic, ep- epic voices. Who was the last one? What movie? The uh, the sheriff yeah. from First Blood. Grizzly. Oh yeah, that guy. How dare you forget me, soldier boy? <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> so Detective Carlson starts interrogating Billy and Cheryl, and he's one cold-hearted son of a bitch. He makes it clear that he doesn't believe any of the bullshit they're saying, and when Cheryl's had enough and screams out once again that Brody was trying to rape her, Carlson just leans down into her face and tells her calmly, "Lady, if it's a screaming match you want." You're sure as shit gonna lose. What Man. kind of was this really what police were like in the early eighties? Yes, apparently so. And I realized I, realize I did guy, that in my Trace Atkins voice, I'm sorry. <laughs> it was close enough to be acceptable. Well, meanwhile, Margie and Frank, they're stuck there. They they came across this bloodbath. Frank's chugging Coors banquet beers at the table. He just wants to go home. They're just sitting there at the table accepting this police behavior as perfectly normal. Carlson says that because Cheryl doesn't have a bruise on her and her clothing isn't ripped, she couldn't have possibly been assaulted. And the fact that Margie and Frank walked in and saw Billy holding the knife, well, the detective finds that all very interesting. Billy says he needs to go get some air. And Cheryl tells Margie that her nephew will be okay. He's just disappointed that he won't get to go away now. Uh-oh. Oh, boy. Her plan is, we're starting to see her plan. There's her angle. She cooked up a murder scheme that would implicate Billy so he couldn't leave her. And then she threw her poor nephew right in the meat grinder. Am I right? Have you guys ever had an aunt with really nice boobs ever do anything like this to you? Uh, No. No, no, no. Yeah, me, me neither. So many things wrong with that question. <laughs> no, there's so many things right with y'all's answers. <laughs> <laughs> Billy comes inside and puts his arm around his shaking Aunt Cheryl as Carlson's interrogation continues. Y'all sure do make a nice couple, he says to them. Just the two of you in this big old house for all these years must get mighty lonely. Well, I mean, the com- way she's draped on him. I mean, she's, oh, yeah, she's literally draping on, on Billy's arm. We're good company for each other, Cheryl says. Yeah, I bet you are, says Carlson with a smile. Ugh. This motherfucker is assuming all sorts of sick stuff way too early in the investigation. Am I right, Yax? Very much so. Now, oh, now, now, hold on now. Go ahead. A seasoned yeah. lieutenant. Yeah, but <laughs> I mean, seen it all. a lot of orphan kids must grow up with their aunts, and you can't go into their house accusing them of this kind of stuff. All right, like now the first, like this wasn't rape. Now that was a little bit premature, but this scene, after watching this aunt like draped all over this kid, I think he's fair. I think he's fair to assume that. Okay, that's, a, that's an interesting take. I didn't, I didn't see it that way, but I, I'll give you that. His next question to Cheryl. You said he touched your boobies. What else did Brody do to you? Very Cheryl professional said, there, boobies. Yes, boobies. 
Cheryl says finally that she refuses to answer any more of his questions. Thank God. Like you can get a lawyer. Even in 81, you could get a lawyer. It was Lady, well established. Chris. I'm not I'm not answering any more of your questions, pal. Lady, I don't give a shit what you do. <laughs> this guy. Sergeant Cook calls out that everyone's leaving now. The crime scene is packed up. And Carlson takes one last look at Cheryl and hanging on Billy, and he just shakes his head. Fascinating. Man, what a crazy, fascinating character this detective is. Am I right, Doctor? Yeah, he he's uh, he's actually he's kind of frightening. He's crazy, and he's not the craziest character in this movie. Yeah, he he's a a great performance by Spence, and as you pointed out, but yeah, yeah he's just uh, fascinating. Fascinating. And just uh, you know what else is fascinating, Doctor? The amazing variety of absolutely sublime cigars produced by our friends over at Drew Estate. God damn, that's fascinating. Todd, did they have Drew Estate cigars back in 1981? They did not. Of course they did not. The mighty Drew Estate was founded over a decade later in 1995. And speaking of Drew Estate, let's talk about one of their newer offerings for a hot minute. A hot cake minute. Crafted by level nine Cuban rollers at the famed El Titan de Bronze on Cali Ocho, the Herrera Esteli Miami line is expertly rolled with a lavish Ecuadorian Habano Oscuro wrapper over a rich Ecuadorian Sumatran binder with select fillers from the Dominican Republic and Nicaragua. The new look of Herrera Esteli Miami features a rich black and gold packaging and is available in five sizes. I smoked the cigar quite a few times. It is truly one of Willie Herrera's masterpieces. So jump in your car or jump online right now and get your hands on some. What are you waiting for? Go do it now. We'll wait. I bet no. Willie Herrera makes some good pancakes. I bet Willie does make some good pancakes. I bet you use like vanilla in there. He's got his game on point. I'm he's sure. a master blender. You think he can't blend together a good pancake? That's what I'm thinking, man. I bet he's got more going on than blueberries. Oh, come on now. You put No, no, I'll challenge that dude to a pancake contest. Dude, next barn smoker, get Willie and Tut in a, a hot cake contest. Mm-hmm. Dude, with me is the, I'll, I'll be the, the Your judge. Yeah, You're the judge. I'll, I'll eat those pancakes and come up with a final decision. I like it. I think we can put together a panel of fine judges. We'll get, uh, get uh, that, that Amish guy from the Pennsylvania farm. Uh, oh, you know he knows a thing or two about pot, hot cakes. Dude, I imagine Amish people cook a shitload of pancakes. Hotcakes. Flapjacks. I don't think they're allowed to call them flapjacks. That's a little too suggestive. Stevie Uh, Cakes. I don't know. What what is Stevie Cakes? Oh, my God. From Sopranos? When the dude hides out in Vermont? It was Johnny Cakes. Oh, oh, Johnny Cakes. That was Johnny Cakes. Oh, okay. All right. I've been calling them Stevie Cakes for like years now. Oh, the guy that's hiding in the George Washington house or whatever? Yeah. Yeah, that's Johnny Cakes. Okay. But I think in East Texas, they're called Stevie Cakes. And there's Stevie Nicks Cakes, which you eat through your nose. But I don't, I don't, I haven't had one of those in years. Just leave that woman alone. <laughs> Love that woman. American treasure. Well, the next day after school, Billy comes home early to find Aunt Cheryl burning a bunch of paperwork uh, in the fireplace, which is odd because it's hot outside. She says she's cleaning out all the old junk from the attic so she can make him a nice apartment up there for next year. 
he brings up the potential basketball scholarship again and she blows him off and you know what she's been through a lot so he just kind of lets it go this time here's the thing he just turned 17 he should be a junior he should have a whole nother year why are they talking about him going off to college and him staying he just, he was 16 when this movie started a week ago he's not going anywhere anytime soon did high school end did high school end at 17 and 81? hey man you know coaches start early Depends on where you live and what school district and all hey, that. He's a, he's a bright kid. Maybe he skipped a grade. Maybe he's, he's older than. Okay. I just thought it was weird that they were so concerned about his next move and he was like a 16 year old kid. I didn't pay attention to any of that. Okay. I'm not going to get I'll let it go. He also mentions that Detective Carlson showed up at school and wants him to take a polygraph test, but she insists she will not allow that to happen. The following afternoon at basketball practice, lovable Detective Carlson shows up once again and asks to speak to Coach Landers privately. Carlson notices a ring on the coach's finger, and the detective tells him he found a matching ring just like that on TV repairman Brody's corpse. Uh-oh. And he's willing to bet that both rings have both the men's initials engraved on the inside. Carlson asks how Billy figures into all this, and Coach angrily says he doesn't. Billy's a good kid, and I care about him a lot. No, I don't doubt that one bit. Uh, but I suggest you resign, otherwise you're going to find yourself lynched. What an asshole, right? That's 80s. Basically, I know you're gay. I found your gay lover's ring on that TV guy. You better just quit your job or else. Because I'm going to out you, and you're going to be lynched by the community. Yeah. And in 1981, that is probably not far-fetched. No, it's not. That's the, the sad thing. And that's actually the scariest thing in the goddamn film. How co- the coach is treated throughout this thing. Like, that was the norm. And that that situation wouldn't have been unrealistic in those times. Yeah, no. And I was actually... Coach- I, I will be kind of curious because uh, this movie, apparently you guys have never even heard of it or hadn't watched it and i was thinking all right if the only place because i know how much Cade hates going to youtube to watch something but if i know that if we're doing it it's the only place that you can actually get this thing i'm kind of wondering i mean is that the reason why this movie's not and it looks glorious it looked (coughs) yeah the conversion of it was great excuse me that's a good point you know, because uh, obviously the the things that are so not even just I mean politically incorrect, but just considered so backwards and 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 not yeah. kosher in any way that that's a I, I still think it, it was a movie we didn't hear of. Just it must not have done very well, or we would have seen it at some point in the '90s. But when you look at the standards of today, uh, you know, in just the last few years of you know, the kind of uh, looking back at the intolerance on certain things, uh, there could be a point, a good point there. Yeah, because I, I mean, you know, Elm Street got a lot of a lot of crap for its gay undertones, but this isn't gay undertones. This is straight out just gay bashing. It is, and and but I but I think the re- and the reason I've always wanted to find this film, and it's a wonderful transfer on on YouTube. Um, one, the performances are fucking out of sight. That's two, true. Two, 
it digs in and it shows this ugly side of culture in 1981, which, hey, you can pretend it didn't exist. You can try to wipe it away, but it was there. And I think it's worth talking about. And you're, it's certainly not going to make me ignore uh, a film because it features something that was actually present at the time. So yeah, of course, I'm gonna, we're going to talk about it. But I, I'll admit, this film has been on my radar. I've been wanting to dig into this film and not just dig it, but see it for so long. And finally, there's a lot of movies on YouTube that uh, either the quality isn't up to snuff to where I'm like, I'm not going to make these guys watch this thing that looks like it was filmed through wax paper, even though these chicks are naked in it. And I really want to talk about this crazy <laughs> bikini movie. But it just, it was the, a great transfer. And the more I watch, I'm like, dude, this, this is a time capsule movie that really encapsulates a lot of things. And it tells a crazy fucking story with crazy great performances we'd be i shouldn't be doing this if we can't talk about this movie does that make sense yeah well and, and just... the situation the situation with the head coach i mean you wonder at what point that in, in our society at what point that would have changed i mean it probably wasn't 81 probably in 91 was the same maybe in 2001 you just wonder at some point would a would a coach who's coaching a basketball team uh, felt forced to hide his sexuality uh, to keep his job. That that probably it certainly would have been an eighty-one, but sure. would have gone a lot late. Now it wouldn't be that way, obviously. Yeah, but... I think even there's some aspects you're dealing with high school students. There's still especially, might be some blowback. Yeah, I mean, especially in the South. I think this takes place in New Mexico, but uh, Doctor, I mean, we had some clearly obviously even to us as as prepubescent children gay teachers uh throughout our our elementary school and middle school and high school careers and it was just kind of a thing that nobody talked about and nobody uh you know what they 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 certainly never offered anything up about their personal lives i would would go so far as to say they hid their lifestyle yeah yeah. they, they stayed a very private course and the kids maybe snickered. We didn't. I think we were kind of progressive, even as youngsters, that we 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 liked the teachers and and their personality. So I mean, I kind of give us dude. We're we're in general giant assholes to the general public. But I will say this about especially the, you know we met Tut much later on. The three of us have known each other since our formative years, and we've always been, if I can say anything positive about us. We've always been a very non-prejudiced, non-bigoted, and I, I attribute that to our parents uh, more than anything, probably our upbringings. Uh, we always judged people on their actions as opposed to their orientation or their race or anything like that. But I, but I certainly acknowledge growing up in Texas that we were in the minority. Yeah, I can't say that. Growing up in rural East Texas, I mean, behind the pine curtain, product of my environment. I didn't didn't change my beliefs on that until way later in life when I actually was like, and it's weird because I never really had a a racial bias. I always, I was always like, you know, it doesn't, you know, skin color doesn't matter. It's always about actions. So I look back at that time and I'm like, well, why weren't you smart enough to transfer your beliefs on racism into sexuality? 
but at that time, I mean, you're you're talking about the Bible Belt. You're talking about pop or mainstream culture in in East Texas, and yeah, it was it was the one thing to where like back then it was a choice, it was a lifestyle, it was they them a bunch of sinners. And but to, to to Kate's point, I mean, and again, it's true. I mean, a lot of this comes from from upbringing and, and environment, but I still feel like even well, we we can credit ourselves for for you know being guys that really didn't let any of those sorts of factors uh, allow us to judge a person. I still go back to, um, and, and it's it's you know alluding to the character of the film of the coach. Uh, when you, when you look at the kind of people we're talking about, I still feel like it was very much a hidden thing whether whether it was a, a coach certainly would have had to but i think even even uh some teachers or whatever if there was a rumor that because they weren't married yeah. or because of of things that would now be considered very stereotypical that you would be called a hater for bringing it out uh, if, if a male if an adult male was not married and, and maybe had some sort of effeminate uh attributes to his personality or his mannerisms um, that, that might have behind that person's back drawn jokes or things like that. It was still very much a under the table hidden kind of thing that, that it was not uh, the, the, the person in question themselves certainly weren't going to acknowledge, uh, you know, uh, certainly not, not going to acknowledge it. And, and even as we get into the 90s, and I don't know where it stops, much like the fictional Coach Landers, um, a teacher or a coach, I don't know if they would have dealt with an asshole like Detective Carlson, for God's sake, but uh, <laughs> a teacher or a coach um, would have kept that hidden because it could have prevented yeah. um, anywhere in Texas, not just in East Texas, but anywhere in Texas, other than extremely progressive liberal places, it, it could have it could have endangered their career. There was a uh, there was a Ooh. teacher a couple of years or a few years after I graduated. She uh, uh, she resigned. And I use that word very, let me go ahead and throw the quotes on it. She resigned shortly after it came out that uh, she was dating a, a female TV anchor. Uh, the TV anchor lost her job and they, they moved. I mean, they had to get out of there. I would like to think that if uh, as young elementary school kids, our, our teacher walked in the door and told us that he was resigning because of he wasn't going to apologize for who he was. I think Mincy and I would have stood up on our desks, captain, my captain, and stood up in solidarity and let him know that there was some youth of America that got it and got it right. Right, doctor? Unlike Dead, unlike dead Poet Society, you and me might have been the only two guys standing up on the deck. <laughs> sure that's what's so, we... what so weird because I feel like I was such an enlightened teenager on so many different things. Yeah. Race, activism, you know, the environment. But on this one thing, I was so fucking backwater. It's just, it's weird when I put all those dots together. Well, you know what? Tut, it's okay because one of the beautiful things about human beings is you're allowed to adapt and change as you get older and if you're willing to do that you become a better human being and uh change is change is positive and change can be great and you you get into that a little bit later but hey man as a as a young kid as a young moldable you know mind 
a malleable brain where you're getting influences from parents and teachers and kids and all that, and you're trying to figure shit out. I, do, I think it's okay not to have it figured out as a teenager, but if you don't have it figured out by the time you hit 30, you're, you're in for a, a, a very angry, upset, disturbing world that's you're not going to be very happy in. I'm just I'm just going to flat out say it. You know, a lot of your beliefs are going to be questioned on the Travis Tritt tour. You know, what you what your beliefs are going on to the tour bus are definitely not what your beliefs are coming off. My God, Matt, with that much leather fringe on that bus, <laughs> it was a it lot of confusion. To, it was there had to be no confusion. A lot of where awkwardness everybody where everybody stood. I mean, there was more yeah. buckskin there than at the Battle of Little Bighorn, son. You keep it yourself. Oh my God. <laughs> But I mean, that's that's well, kind of the whole. You point. cannot wear a white moccasin suit and and be against anybody. <laughs> that's kind of the whole point, though, is that of all the of all the crazy elements of this movie, that aspect, which would seem nuts to probably an 18 or 20 year old watching this movie today, yeah. to those of us who grew up in a different era, the fact that the crazy detective can come in and threaten this guy, you better resign. You know, today, I think a coach or a teacher would say, I'm not going to, and they would get a much larger base of support. Whereas, well, they, go on, they go on, they go on Twitter and they would be, they would be safe. Yeah. Whereas in this, in this time period of this movie, that's probably one of the least crazy things in the movie that that's very, really is. The, the guy would have said that to this, this yeah. <laughs> that's a great point. basketball coach. That's a great point, dog. And not only do you say you better resign or you'll be fired. He said, you, you better resign or we're going to lynch you. Uh, okay. Well, you know, that's, that's a kind of an interesting perspective coming from a bunch of Texas boys. Um, well, a couple of enlightened Texas boys and a guy who got enlightened later in life. Uh, thank God. I'm almost, I'm in the last third of the cigar. Uh, I was just teasing Todd. Don't give me that finger. Uh, You're number one, baby. You're number one. <laughs> He got there. It took a little while. He was behind the pine curtain. We know the shit that goes on back there. You uh, can sound like Hungary or Romania. Guard your back door. Don't let them through. Is there like, like an East Texas wall, like the Berlin Wall that you tried to climb over? It's called the pine. It's called the pine curtain. Mr. Gorbachev, bring those pine trees down. <laughs> bring those pine trees down. Cut those trees down. <laughs> I'm in the final third of this cigar. I just sound like Guy Fieri. I'm in the final third of this cigar. I'm getting baking spices. I'm getting cocoa. I'm getting leather. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I'm still getting leather, uh, cocoa. I am getting the minerals still, uh, and but I'm getting more of that graham cracker on the draw. It kind of started building after the final, uh, into the final third. Uh, I got to say this. I like the bigger Vitola of the cigar. I thought it, it gave a little more room for these flavors to kind of okay. breathe, breathe and kind of make themselves more pronounced. But uh, phenomenal construction, a really cool, spicy, medium spice, mineral, uh, minty retrohale with a nice leather, cocoa, and bready draw throughout that kind of fluctuate a little bit. I like the cigar. You guys? Yeah, uh, I I think the caram the touch of caramel in the beer is kind of covering up that gram because I've been missing it all throughout. But I can say that there is like a little breadiness on the on the uh, palate. Uh, for the most part, that mineral and leather is just dominant. 
for me, there is that nice little pepper, especially once I get into the halfway mark through on the retro L. It is a nice little cigar. Uh, it's 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 an it's a neat little deal. I would almost call it legal esque light. Uh, like I said, it never produced the power. It never like shot up in the nicotine deal. Uh, but it, it did remi- have that Nicaraguan mineral coming it through. It kind of reminds me of a of a toned down Norteño. Maybe it's the Mexican rapper influence. Ooh. Um, yeah, that's 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 a good. It is a very toned down one. You're not getting that power through there, but yeah, I think that's a that's a good comparison. It's a downshifted uh, Norteño if you're yeah. going with the Drew Estate comparisons. Uh, you guys want to talk price point? Uh, yeah, is that all kind of copacetic with what you're well, getting? I mean, I would say you know I switched to my other beer finally, so I'd like the Graham. My previous guys- beer, I couldn't tell you there was Graham because my beer tasted nothing but Graham crackers. It had Graham so crackers in it. Sweet. So I switched beers, and now my, not not that the new beer was any better. This is the King Cake Pastry Stout. <laughs> so this is like vanilla, cinnamon, cream cheese. But now I can taste the graham in the cigar. You know what? This so, cheesecake beer is not doing it right. Give me that cream is- cheese over there. This beer was a collaboration between Hostess and Little Debbie Bakeries. Uh, breweries, sorry. <laughs> breweries. <laughs> I'm, I, I've developed diabetes. My foot's falling off as we speak. Yak's, right. Yak's new thing is he only drinks beers that are brewed by the Keebler Elves. God, that would be great <laughs> if they actually danced. This, like this one's got his zingers in it and Dolly Pass and Donuts. <laughs> Uh, Ooh, you just peel that layer off but, of that beer. Mm-hmm. So even with the amount of flavors in your second beer, you're starting to get a little bit of what we were talking about earlier. Yes. Now the mineral, very much so. That's always been prevalent. It's a nice, I, it's a nice addition to that retro thing. The that 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 pepper, especially initially in the middle, it, it you know it died down a little bit here at the end. It's gotten a little bit stronger, pick back up. I like that, especially just the, the, the retro hell part. But a lot of those other ones, like I said, like, you know, you talked about some of the sweeter flavors, a little bit of that cream and the graham. I wasn't getting that on my first beer. This one does not have those flavors. I now I'm getting that from the cigar. Excellent. So I'm like, I'm enjoying that. Okay. So well, let's, let's talk price point. A lot of cool flavors, despite all these different beers, we're getting a lot of, Nice flavors from the cigar. It's smoking actually pretty slowly. It's lasted us quite a while. Yeah. Uh, Tut, you first. You have five seconds. Eight seventy-five. Eight seventy-five. Yes. Eight seventy-six. I'm gonna go for this one. I'll go eight. I think I think I think he's in the wheelhouse. Seven forty. Seven dollars and forty cents. Uh, a little not bit too under. shabby. Not too shabby. Not too shabby at all. Um, and please remember, uh, when purchasing some fine HBC cigars or other brands from famoussmokeshop.com, these boxes of these bad boys are actually on sale right now. Uh, use your new favorite 
promo code TNCC20 at checkout, where it will knock $20 off your purchase of $100 or more. But be sure to hurry, as I hear tonight's cigar is selling like hotcakes. <laughs> Seven time. bucks for hey, this is actually a pretty good deal. Great. Uh, gotta go. No, seven bucks for this is good. A little over seven bucks for this is really good. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Back at the house, Aunt Cheryl has broken down a boarded up door in the dark recesses of the cellar, and she lights some candles in a shrine to her ex-boyfriend, Chuck Strang. That's never a good sign. She talks to the black and white photos of Chuck, explaining that he's the only one she can talk to about this. Oh, oh wait. Now I have a question. Yeah. Why did she board it up? Well, she's been sane. Somewhat... She, create, she created a shrine. She's been somewhat sane for a little while and put away Chuck down here to, but things have been okay for a while. Now Billy. Oh, now is... Billy's about to leave. It's now time Billy's for... causing okay. problems. All right. It's time to open the Chuck Strang shrine. Let's get crazy going. That's hard to say. Chuck Strang shrine. Uh, she's made it so Billy couldn't leave, she tells the pictures of Chuck Strang. She never meant to kill Brody, but he hit her just like Chuck did once, just like you did once, so I had no choice. This moment of insanity is interrupted by Sergeant Cook knocking on the door upstairs. He wants to ask her a few questions, but when she comes out swinging with a crowbar, I ain't the mood for talking. He gets the hell out of there. He runs off. He'll, he'll come back some other time. Have they not heard of Ma'am, Can You Come Down to the Station? I'd like to ask you a few things. It was 1981, Tim. Okay. Really explain a lot. It's lunchtime over at the high school, and Billy and Julie's lunch is interrupted by Bill Paxton. Now I see Bill Paxton. Well, here's why. He's sporting a wide, he's sporting that wide, shit-eating grin that nobody does better than Bill Paxton. This is so (laughs) proto-chat. I love it. Eddie says, it's real interesting the coach quit because he was gay, seeing as how you, Billy, were always alone with him in his office and all. I figured you were close, but not that close. This prompts Billy to pour his glass of milk. My God, this guy drinks a lot of milk. Pours his glass of milk over Eddie's head, and a fight breaks out. They both get a couple of good licks in before they're torn apart. It's a good little good little schoolyard fight. It scene. was funny, though, because, like, Billy stands up, and I knew what was happening. I'm like, wow, this is the longest wind-up for a pour-over-the-head scene. Surely <laughs> Bill Paxton can move out of the way. And then it was like the longest wind-up of Bill Paxton's first hit. Surely Billy can get out of the way. No, neither do. Fight on. Well, the good thing about Bill Paxton, he always plays his doofuses the same. They're very stupid. So yes, he knew that milk was gonna pour his head, but he just stood there. Like that's that's classic Paxton. All right, guys. Game I, over. Game over, man. We're in some real pretty milk now. Two <laughs> percent, man. Two percent. Disclaimer time. Uh, to you guys and girls listening at home, I feel like I should do this disclaimer in a different voice to set it apart. It's important what I'm about to say, so I only really have one other voice, and I don't think Adrian Barbeau is appropriate here, so I'll I'll do it in my other one. <clears throat> oh, God, here comes Trace Atkins. 
There's going to be some hurtful, derogatory, bigoted language used by one of our main characters moving forward in the story. So when I quote him, please understand that the TNCC does not condone the use of such language or the evil dark places in the soul from which they emerge in some folks, fictional or otherwise. We're just telling the story as it is told on screen. We are big supporters of the gay community. Hell, Tut and Cade met at a lesbian wedding. So please understand sure. the so please understand the context here. God bless you. God bless the gays and God bless America. I think I think our bases are covered. Did you have to call them the gays? Oh. God bless the gay community and God bless America. Okay. All right. Okay. Okay. I think I'm, I'm okay. Uh, it is important to 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 get this film and to get this character and to get the context of what we've been talking about culture wise. I'm gonna just tell it like the character speaks. And I think it's I, I actually think it's appropriate. This is one of those things to where we're not we're not like I said like you said, we're not condoning the language, we're not condoning the attitude. But it's kinda of like going back to Mark Twain and Huckleberry Finn. If you start removing the language of the time, you're alter you're alternate you're altering the work. You're altering the mirror to that time or the magnifying glass of that time. And that does nobody good. Yeah, but I mean, also in context to the film, I mean, the the way they pre- present the, the detective, the cop, I mean, he is being just a straight fucking prick. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, and, and even for 81, you know, yeah, even the, for the writer and the director, I mean... They're not. It's not like they were saying like, "Hey, you know, he's." No, you you see the main psycho in this film, Aunt Cheryl, do some horrible things, but you leave this film hating this guy more than any other yeah, character. Yeah, right. And, which and is, I think like, and I think that was very. Like, I think I think that was very yeah. s- smartly written and intentional. Yeah, though they balance him out good with the other cop later on in the scene or later on do. in the movie. They do. So I'm just going to tell you how it is, and again, I'm just I'm just. Quoting the film, and uh, after school, Billy's shooting hoops at home when Detective Carlson shows up. You've got good technique, kid. Coach Landers teach you those moves? Yeah. Doesn't it bother you that he was a fag? Come on, man. Tell me, Billy, are you a fag? No. I'm going to ask you again, and keep in mind that it pisses me off when people lie to me. Are you a fag? You're crazy, Billy Size. Dude, uh, Carlson gets in his face. Remember Phil Brody? The man that got wasted here? Well, he was a fag. And it doesn't make a whole hell of a lot of sense for a fag to be raping your aunt. What does make sense is that if you were a fag too, and I'm just postulating, but I believe that you and Phil Brody were having a lover's quarrel and things got a little out of hand. Then your aunt walked in, saw the knife in your hand, and decided to take the rap. And the whole time Carlson's delivering this theory, the camera keeps creeping in closer and closer on his face. It's pretty powerful stuff. Well, suddenly Aunt Cheryl appears on the porch and yells at Carlson to leave, get out of here. But as he turns his back to walk away, Billy raises the basketball to throw at him. Carlson, without turning around, raises his finger. Billy, Billy. you do that. I'll break, break your arm. Your arm. 
the, t- the detective then spins around and tells Billy that he needs to loosen up on his outside shots. And when shooting the ball, be sure and keep your wrist, you know, limp-like. That shouldn't be too difficult for you. Holy Dude. shit. First of all, is that like a – I think that was like a staple go-to in the 80s. If yeah, it was a basketball, it was like, keep your wrist limp. And I'm just well, like, I mean, it was clearly a, 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 a slam on him. Uh, French composer Philippe Leroux oh says that every great memorable piece of music needs that one moment of madness. And I think it's clear here that this encounter with Detective Carlson – is a pure one of uh, one of many in this one of many in this movie's moments of madness but this is the first one that grabbed me i'm like oh my god this scene wow but one thing and you know what kudos kudos real quick yeah kudos to bose benson for taking on this role i mean obviously it's less risky in 81 than it would be now but maybe not maybe now you just It'd be like, man, he really portrayed this asshole great. But you give you give a lot of freedom to actors to portray dickheads, in especially in racial and and you know bigoted contexts. Like a lot of guys have won Academy Awards for being douchebags, but uh, man, he just fucking and nails. Kudo, well, one thing, kudos to the casting director for getting this guy because he's such an imposing stature. And w- coupled with that voice, I mean, he's downright menacing. Uh, and at the same time, like you said, that camera direction creeping in on there, creeping in on there. It was a nice little buildup in there to where you, the tension was just ugh. Yeah, and well, that's why. Is, though, is in this scene, apparently he can tell someone's gonna lob a basketball at him without even looking, but yet he can't figure out if he is crazy. <laughs> He he has a limited uh um, his his superpowers are limited. I was too. surprised that he knew the word postulating. He's Just, an interesting he's an interesting character, and there's moments where he kind of softens up, and it's like you can see why this guy got to where he is because he can be soft and likable in a in a in a moment, and then turn around and say the most heinous fucking thing. It's a really well developed character. And you don't get a lot of those in, in these type of movies. In the Frankly, 80s. I'm surprised he didn't do more that's like more notable. He, he's really good. I've always liked him. What were you going to say, Doctor? No, I just said it, it's he played it wondrously. Well, that night at dinner, troubled and highly stressed out Billy has lost his appetite. Imagine that. I mean, he's got a lot going on. A soft and caring Aunt Cheryl tells Billy that schools just can't teach you how difficult life can be at times. Difficult? Like he was covered in blood a day ago and like his life is like in ruins. Billy says that Carlson believes he killed Brody and he won't stop until he proves it. Aunt Cheryl changes subjects, asking Billy if he knew that Coach Landers was a homosexual. Billy says he didn't. Well, does Billy know that homosexuals are very sick? Do you know that, Billy, how sick homosexuals are? She blows up. Hot and cold, hot and cold. Billy stands up from the table. Coach Landers is not sick. He barks at the crazy old bitch and he storms off. Good job, Billy. Good job. And the next day at school, Billy stops by the coach's office as he's packing up his stereotypical cardboard box Box. full of trophies and belongings. Here's my trophy. 
You get one box, fit it all in there. Coach tells him, Billy, if you ever need anything, anything at all, give me a call and I'll be there to help. Here's what I love about this movie. One of many things. For a script that throws some real harsh prejudices and negativity at gay men by the central characters, by Cheryl, by Carlson, the actual character of Coach Landers, both as written and especially as performed by actor Steve Easton, is so well done. And it's not stereotypical. There's nothing stereotypically gay about the coach, which is rare for a genre film, a horror film, oh, yeah. or any really any film in the early 80s. Right. They always played the gay guys so outland yeah. and flamboyant. I appreciated that balance on how they were treating the coach and just how centered it, it made all the bigoted bullshit that Detective Carlson and Cheryl spewed it made it sting your ears more because he seemed like such a decent, honest guy. To be honest, I didn't even think about that until you said it. I didn't. This is one of the things that in my American literature class that I have a little bit of different perspective than the other students because I'm a lot older than them. And so I look at things through a different lens than they do. And that was one of the, and one of the things I always tell them, I was like, look at the author when the author was alive and then look at it through that prism because even though they're writing about a different time, they're still a product of their time. And I didn't do that with this film because you're right. It's very rare that they would play the homosexual guy this look straight at the in 80, the 80s. Let's look at every 80s film we've done and let's include fucking Revenge of the Nerds in yeah. there with Lamar Luttrell. They all portray the gay guy and, as and, the, and Latrell was even a positive character and that well, was still was, over was, but, I'm, but I'm just saying they play this gay coach as just a normal hardworking honest dude and it makes the shit that's slung at him that much more painful to the audience and I thought he played it great I thought it was written great and I thought it was something that we don't see a lot in films of this not only this era like not just horror films, but all films. I thought they, they did great with this. Yeah, it's a, it's a surprising development when Carlson braces him in the gym and you find out that he is gay. You're like, whoa, I didn't, I never saw that coming. Yeah. I mean, there, there was, the, that's why I thought it was weird that they, early in that first practice when he's telling guys to watch their back doors, and I was like, they, well, that's they actually a basketball terminology, is it? Okay. Oh, is it? Is it really? Yeah, a backdoor cut, which is where it, it, it's a it's a it's a terminology from basketball. Okay, that's why you're here, Doc. Thank you. See, all you have is have, there's a thing in basketball called a screen, right? Where right, I know the screen. A guy, a guy screen. without the ball uh, is moving to get free, and a another guy, usually a bigger guy, will come in and has to plan his feet and, and screen the defender. So the defender runs into him and it frees a guy. And if you drive towards the basket, like that that's called if you if you screen a guy and he comes around that screen and drives towards the basket, that's called a backdoor so cut. So when you're driving to the hole it's a backdoor cut. Oh, God damn it. That's that's the pine that Wait, that's the that's the what? pine curtain that's the pine curtain talking. I thought we were turning in the corner here. I just and, thought it, I just thought it was weird that they said that, but then because everything else they do with him is so not that, but then the doctor just explained it, but then Tut took it, <laughs> took it back. 
called a backdoor cut. Okay. Um, it doesn't mean you got cut on your ass. It means you made a backdoor towards the basket. Dude, doctor, thank you. Well done. Well done. Speaking of Coach Landers, he stops by the police station to try and talk some sense into Carlson. But before he can get a word out, Carlson starts interrogating him about a young boy who was molested in town last night. Jesus, uh, this guy. Fucking guy. You know what? He's pretty judgmental for a guy that has a big white bullwhip on his on his office wall. Do you see that thing? He's got like a big thing of bullhorns. No, I, I missed that. I missed that one. He's got a big thing of bullhorns, a, a couple tomahawks, and then this bullwhip. And it's like, dude, that's kind of gay. Is what I would say in 81 before I was sensitive to such saying such a thing. Coach tells the detective that he came by to inform him that Phil Brody, his former lover, get this, was married once to a female, and he thought that information might help Carlson's investigation. He has been interested in women in the past, so he could have been trying to rape her. I think you might want to know this. You think it'll help me in my investigation or help your butt boy, Billy? Jesus, Carlson, what's your problem, Carlson? What's your problem, Coach says? People like you, that's my problem. Get the fuck out of my office. Protect and serve. This guy's a winner. Yeah, I'm not feeling protected or served by this fuck. He immediately dismisses it out of hand. Like, this yeah, doesn't fit with I don't know. We're going to get to a lot of really pertinent, good investigative stuff that he just <laughs> It doesn't fit his stuff. He doesn't want anything to do with it. At the school lunch yard, Billy apologizes to Julie for being so distant the last few days as he tries to figure stuff out. She's an understanding girlfriend, and she lights up when he asks her to come by the house later as Aunt Cheryl will be out shopping with Margie and Fred. Finally, things are looking up for the young couple until enter Detective Carlson, who knocks on Julie's door after school. He introduces himself. He, he can be kind of charming when he's not a giant... Homophobe. homophobe he asked her to go on a walk with him so they can talk privately which is hilarious because when they start walking she comes up to his belt buckle yeah he's like seven feet tall and she's like down here on him. that and i'm like uh sir don't you know that you can't question a minor without their guardian 19 ni- small small town 1981 type. i think uh, could, do you think carlson's going by the book <laughs> well first off Carlson asked the teenager, uh, the teenage girl, if she finds Billy's relationship with his aunt to be peculiar. Yes. And Julie doesn't really know how to answer that. Then he asked the teenage girl how Billy is with her. Is he the strong, aggressive type? Are you guys having regular sex? Julie's pissed off at this line of questioning. It's none of your damn business. He explains he has a job to do, and that job is to A uncover if aunt cheryl is covering for billy and b uncover if billy is actually a homosexual julie tells carlson that billy's more of a man than he'll ever be and you know what boys she's right she's right well that night billy shows julie just how manly he is by making sweet passionate tender love to her in the bedroom and as they're fucking we cut outside in the dark do you guys like how i do that Sweet, tender lovemaking. So as they're fucking, we cut outside in the darkness as we're still the TNCC. Uh, as someone 
shot in an ominous POV perspective, lurks around the house, peeping in the windows. Mad ending. Doctor. Hey, you got no proof. <laughs> of course, it's not the doctor. It's Aunt Cheryl, and she soon kicks down Billy's bedroom door and tells him to get dressed and get that little slut out of here. Man, she is pissed. As Julie leaves the house in shame, Sergeant Cook jumps out of the bushes outside and startles her. He says he was there to talk to Cheryl, but as long as he has Julie here, he's going to he must ask her a few questions. Again, where's the parents? 81, dude, 81. He asks Julie if Billy's aunt caught them doing it, and Julie says yes. Sergeant Cook smiles, and he says that's real good for Billy's case. Oh, well, I, think it's, I think a storm's coming. Man, I got to tell you, to your point, Tut, as the father of two daughters... If they ever came to me and said that a cop was questioning them about their sex lives, let alone two cops in one day, one showed up at the house, another one caught her outside in some bushes, I would be grabbing a two-by-four and going Buford Pooser, or whatever the <laughs> fuck that guy's name was, down to the police station and fucking take care of business. But in 1981, apparently that was an acceptable form of police work, so we'll just go with it. Blue lives would not matter that day. We didn't get to see Julie's naked ass, but we sure do get a good glimpse of Billy's bare butt cheeks as Aunt Cheryl confronts him. There we go. We got to see a little bit of Julie booby. No, we got her boobs. We didn't see her butt. I, I was clear that we didn't get to see her ass. But we do get to see her boobs. You're right, Tug. Uh, to our listeners, that's important, I know. Um, <laughs> I thought he called me on that. We didn't get to see her ass, but we saw her, we saw her boobs. Okay, we saw her boobs. We do see her boobs during the lovemaking scene, but we get to see a lot of Billy's ass as he's trying to get in the shower when Aunt Cheryl confronts his ass naked. And Billy's not awkward with this at all. I bet or you the man because it is gratuitous. I bet you really enjoyed that scene, didn't you, Mister Tuttle? I reckon. Uh, uh, whatever the actor's name is. Go face that way. We we need to get those cheeks. Arch, arch your back. Go ahead. They argue with Billy finally <laughs> agreeing to stop banging Julie. He says he'll stop. Really, he just wants to get in the shower and his aunt to stop looking at him naked. Uh, Cheryl then goes down to the basement shrine and tells the photos of her old boyfriend, Chuck Strang, that perverts and sluts are doing all they can to take Billy away from her, but she won't let him. She's going to keep him here just like she kept Chuck Strang here. Uh, she's getting crazier and crazier. Back at police headquarters. If I'm I say just saying that anywhere, anytime there's a shrine in the house, it's not a good sign. It's never a good sign, Ted. It's never a good sign. Um, if I say police HQ, will you guys know that I'm talking about headquarters? Yes. yes. Okay. I just want to make sure. Um, let me pour another beer here. I am enjoying this uh, space cake IPA far more than the, the breakfast now. Uh, it not only did it do great with the thing, but man, there's papaya. There's like a lot of really cool uh, tropical stuff in there. Man, it's a great. You're right, Yax. Damn good double IPA. Exactly. How's, how's your second beer? Is it somewhat less overpowering than your first? It is. I mean, this one... Um... The king cake pastry stout. Uh, it is more uh, 
like a vanilla and cinnamon. Oh, I bet that'd which, be really good. I bet that might be really good with the cigar. Which is why I actually said that this one versus the other one, like I could actually get the, the gram and, and the other thing in the cream part from the cigar because the, the first beer, that those were the components in that beer, and it was just overpowering on everything. Sure. This one, a little bit different flavor profile. So I should have started with this one. I would have picked up on more of that in the beginning on that cigar. Okay. Pour it on some pancakes in lieu of maple syrup. <laughs> you should, yes. It could well, work. Well, back at Police HQ, Detective Carlson's walking down the hallway, shirt half unbuttoned, smoking a cigarette, and holding the leash of his giant black dog. He confronts Sergeant Cook because he received a call from Julie's mother complaining about his line of questioning the night before. Not his line of questioning, but the, the sergeant's. Cook tells Carlson that Cheryl caught the kids doing it, and that kind of weakens Carlson's fag theory. His, his words, not mine. Carlson's pissed as he blows cigarette smoke into Cook's face. The victim was a fag, the coach is a fag, and the kid is a fag. He grew up without a father and only women around him. It's a classic case. Wait a minute. I grew up without a father and women surrounding me. All right, moving on. Uh-oh. Suddenly our movie selections start. No, 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 to... moving on, moving on, moving on. No, 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 no need to talk about me. Yeah. Uh, Cook also uh, says that he did some research on Billy's parents' car accident back in 67. And some of the locals he talked to said there were rumors it wasn't brake failure at all. The brakes might have been tampered with. Carlson doesn't like this shit at all. He forbids Cook from doing any more investigating on this case. If it doesn't fit his narrative, he wants nothing interested. Nothing to do with it. All right, detective. I want you to stop detecting. <laughs> hey, he's not a detective. He's a sergeant. He's not a detective. Quit doing police work. Sergeant detective. Quit. Quit doing police work, policeman. You're a police officer. Quit doing police work. <laughs> that night before his big basketball tryout for the scholarship, Aunt Cheryl wishes him wishes Billy good luck and reassures him if he gets the scholarship, she will be behind him 100%. She even gives him some milk and cookies for energy, milk that she's poisoned with something to make him sick. Doctor, as a man of medical science, what do you suppose was in that medicine dropper she put in his glass of milk? Well, uh, he said that when we get to the basketball game, he said he's feeling dizzy. So I'm not entirely sure, but it's something that's going to knock him out. Like a tranquilizer. Yeah. So uh, nothing that's going to do any permanent damage. Right. Uh, it's hard to say. Uh, I like how you come to me with this. I don't have experience drugging people into unconsciousness myself. No, no, it's, it's strictly your medical background. Uh, uh, your, your fictional medical background. What? Um, I, I, of course you would never drug anybody, but I, I thought you might be able to give some insight. You're the doctor. Well, you get the uh, milk and you get the cookies and you put oh, no. them. Oh, God, it's a Cosby... Uh, <laughs> I just see, Kane, if they won't eat the pudding pops, then you got to put something in the milk and I just make them unconscious. Wait, are we in trouble for that? No, he's in prison. We're okay with that. Oh, okay. Okay. That's actually probably the only thing we're okay with tonight is making fun of Bill Cosby. Uh, that guy's a sick fuck. Um, 
Well, sure enough, with Aunt Cheryl and Julie and her ever-present camera taking pictures in attendance, Billy has a badass game right up until he passes the fuck out, blowing any chances of a scholarship. That was sad. It was sad, man. I mean, I, I suppose maybe Stephen F. Austin University might still offer him a full ride, but I hear their basketball team plays their games at a local elementary school playground. SFA beat number one, Duke. So I don't know how how good that would be for Billy. Yeah, a lot of Stephen F. Austin shame here by you guys. SFA gets into the dance. Moving on. Of course, even though Billy collapsed unconscious and was completely unresponsive on the court, it's 1981, so instead of calling an ambulance, they just let Aunt Cheryl drag his lifeless body out to the car and take him home. Give him some water. He'll be fine. Rub some dirt on it. The next morning, he finally wakes up at noon and finds himself in his new attic apartment, which Cheryl has furnished with all sorts of fun things from his all class. All right, yeah. Like like crayons, kid Uh-oh. puzzles, and, st- and stuffed animals. Not good. That's not creepy. He starts to get up. He promised to meet Julie for lunch, but Aunt Cheryl says he doesn't need to go back to school, like, ever. He's learned enough. And besides, that place is full of perverts. You can stay in bed. I'll teach you things. Uh-oh. I caramba. Uh, Aunt Cheryl goes downstairs to pour some more drugs into the milk carton and possibly make Billy some hotcakes. I saw some batter in a bowl on the table there. It was, it was, it, it fits, it pairs. It's a, it's a breakfast staple. So Billy takes this opportunity to snoop around a little bit through her drawers. Get your heads out of the gutter. Uh, he finds a love letter from one Chuck Strang. Earlier, he found a letter from Chuck Strang, and she said that it was a boyfriend of his Billy's mom. mom. But this is clearly written to Aunt Cheryl. So he realizes she's been lying to him about some things. When Cheryl discovers Billy in her bedroom, she throws his hotcakes and his breakfast down the ground. She's super pissed, and she makes him promise never to do it again. He looks at her and he says, I think you might be lying about Brody raping you. And she grabs his both sides of his head softly and says she'd never lie to him. And it looks like she's pulling him in for like a romantic kiss. But then we cut to the next scene. Man, this movie's fucking weird. And it's about to get a lot fucking weirder, if you can imagine that. Am I right, Yax? Oh, yes. Way fucking weirder. <laughs> Speaking of Chuck Strang... We cut to the police station where Detective Carlson is interrogating a poor Hispanic man at gunpoint in his office. The guy's got a, a Hispanic dude on the floor of his office with a gunpoint in his With face. a hand cannon. Yaks, what was that? A 357 or a 38 special? Or... Eh, it looked like a 357. 357. Sergeant Cook walks in and. Dirty Harry yeah. Masterpiece is what it Dude. was. Sergeant Cook walks in and just totally doesn't. It's it doesn't even body. say anything about the gun pulled on the suspect. This is what Carlson does every day in the office. He tells his boss he did some more, you know, detective work. And it turns out that Cheryl dated a man named Chuck Strang who just disappeared into thin air many years ago. The guy left his clothes behind, all his belongings. He left a plate of warm hotcakes on the counter at home. That was weird. That wasn't yeah. 
That wasn't that wasn't in the script. That was not clear. And no one has ever seen Chuck Strang since. Yak boy, what's the world's biggest hotcake ever measured? Guinness Book of World Records. Biggest pancake ever. Ten feet. How much? Ten feet. The answer is forty-nine feet in diameter, and it weighed six thousand six hundred and fourteen pounds. Hot damn! That's a big hotcake. The runner, the runner up was a. That's true. That's the actual Guinness Book of World Records. Forty-three. I'm sorry, forty-nine feet, six thousand pounds. The runner up was a 43 foot pancake and it was eaten in just under two hours by the TNCC back in 2004 at Jim's restaurant in central Texas at 4 a.m. on a Saturday night. Thanks. I believe Lord Alfred Tennyson also wrote a poem about that incident as well. It was a magical night. Am I right, boys? (laughs) Doctor, it was magical. Magical night, yes, and I was present, but Alfred Tennyson's been dead for over a century, so... He came back just to write about that. Well, there were a lot of crazy things that happened that night, so I can't deny that's impossible. Nostra Tennyson hit it in a poem. <laughs> it's a thing. It's a thing. Back at the house, Aunt Cheryl's rapid descent into full-blown madness is in full effect as she cuts her own hair in the bathroom. I gotta say it. She was an attractive woman before this horrible homemade haircut. And if she had any chance of getting into her nephew's underpants, this wasn't a smart move. Am I right? No, no, no. I'm right. I hope she didn't have any chance to begin with, but... No, I don't think Billy was going to... But but still, the, the haircut was a, a bad... This, Like you said, it was a descent into madness. Strategically, it was a bad move if you're looking at seducing anybody because it's a bad haircut. No, the funny thing was is that building up into all this, I was like, you know what? She's an attractive woman for an older woman. Oh, wait, she's probably younger than I am. <laughs> At this point, yeah. <laughs> she goes, Cheryl goes down the cellar to show off her new hairdo to her former flame, Chuck Strang. And this time, she doesn't just talk to his black and white photos. We see her talking to his decomposed headless corpse lying on a cot nearby. That's that not was, good. That was, But that was no real surprise, right, Doctor? We. I mean, no, no, it's very Friday the Thirteenth Part Two esque with a shrine to the dead body, but yeah. it's not. It's 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 kind of at this. It was it wasn't a oh my god moment. She's we know she's crazy. This wasn't a shocker. Circle uh, now. Chuck's all bones at this point after all these years. Doctor, back to you. Do you think there's even the slightest chance that Chuck Strang died of natural causes? Mike. God, I no, I, I think that he probably died a very torturous, painful death with every nerve ending in his body on fire. But it could still be far too early to tell. We haven't had one of those in a while, and it warms my soul. Thank you, Doctor. Thank you, Doctor. After school, Billy talks Julie into coming home with him so she can distract Aunt Cheryl while he snoops around in her dusty old drawers. You know what? Your aunt called me a slut. I'm going to bow out of this one. Oh, she's very hesitant. She's like, she doesn't want to talk to me. I don't want to do this. But hey, she loves Billy. My name's Julie and I'm not screwy. This is between (laughs) y'all. 
dude, you know, if she said that on screen, we'd be like, that's the weak, that's the stupidest line any character is. My name's Julie, but I ain't screwy. <laughs> that would be terrible. Todd, that's why you don't write screenplays. It worked for Tarantino. <laughs> dude, that would be in a Tarantino. My name might be Julie, but I ain't screwy. That's where I got it. My name's Paul, and this is Between Y'all. And if I meet your aunt one more time, my pants are going to go pooey. (laughs) Hey, to say that Cheryl isn't interested in talking to Julie either is quite the understatement. The crazy loon tosses a plank steak down on the butcher's block and starts bashing it with a giant wooden meat tenderizer as Julie professes her love for Billy. Then suddenly... Cheryl's demeanor changes, and she tells Julie she does indeed understand young love. She's been there. She even walks over and gives Julie a big hug right before clubbing the lovely little girl over the head with the enormous meat hammer. Bye, Julie. Which, by the way, uh, back in my basketball playing days, that was my nickname, the enormous meat hammer. That's what the guys in the locker room showers called me. Yax, you were there. You can you can test with that. No, no. Enormous meat hammer. Yeah, it didn't happen. Didn't happen. As Billy Snoops, you know, it's funny. Uh, in our in our senior year yearbook, they were going around asking everyone what your. Uh, this is true. <laughs> very true. Uh, they were they would just go around and ask you what your accomplishments were in high school for the yearbook and they did no fact checking so when they when they came up to me i was like all right what could be the two most outrageous things that were so against or so antithesis of what i did in high school i'm like i was the president of dare and or not yeah no no it was the mothers against drunk driving mad i was the president of uh student chapter of mad and I was a varsity captain of uh, varsity basketball. And dude, they put it in the yearbook. In the yearbook, it lists your stuff that's on Matt Cade's senior basketball. <laughs> and we had a friend who will go unnamed who got so fucking pissed when he really, you weren't in basketball. Varsity captain basketball team. I'm like, hey, man, I just said it. It's in the yearbook. Must be true. Yearbook must be true. I, Yeah. Anyway. Uh enormous meat hammer. Uh I should have said that for my year, but like they you know, they call me the enormous they, meat they hammer. They might they might have not fact checked it, but they might have left that one out. They probably would have left that one out. As Billy snoops around and Aunt Cheryl drops even more drugs into his milk carton, she's gotten a little overzealous with that. It went from an eyedropper, now she's just pouring drugs <laughs> into his fucking milk. My God, there must be enough tranquilizers in that carton of milk to knock out the whole Tuesday night cigar club. And that's saying something. Well, if he won't eat the pancakes, I'm going to pour this into some milk and give it to Billy. You want some hot cakes in the morning? You do. You. Forget Aunt Cheryl. That guy's a monster. He's worse. He's a real life monster. He never came to see me. (laughs) You started this fire. I did. I did. Margie shows up at the house with a cheesecake 
because that's what good solid friends do like margie out of the blue they just show up with cheesecake and just come on in i'm looking at you guys nobody's ever showed up in my house with a cheesecake well yaks liquefied one and drank it but... <laughs> he did for the sake of the show good job yaks I do what I'll I can. I'll make you a cheesecake as soon as I get my vaccination and bring it down to Salado. When Billy walks in the kitchen, Cheryl Mealy pours him a tall glass of medicinal milk to go with the cheesecake. And guess this? He takes one, one sip and naturally he immediately collapses on the floor unconscious. <laughs> it's like 90% narcotics and 10% milk. My God, yeah, it's more drugs than milk at this point. It should have looked like this. Like, this is <laughs> milk. I don't know. Night falls as a brutal thunderstorm blows in. Billy awakens on his bed with a concerned Margie and Aunt Cheryl looking down on him. He looks like death. He's drenched in sweat, and Margie still thinks they should call a doctor. But Cheryl says, I can handle it. And she rudely tells her best friend to scram. Well, if you don't need me, I don't. Get the fuck out of here, Margie. Well, Margie does leave, but as she's walking out, she doesn't go far as she overhears Billy call Cheryl mom. That's new. And if that juicy nugget isn't worth sticking around to eavesdrop on, I don't know what is. Billy reaches into his pocket and pulls out his birth certificate, which he found in Cheryl's room. And Cheryl smiles, and she confirms it. She's his mother, and Chuck Strang was his father. Uh-oh, that makes even things weirder. She tells Billy that Chuck was going to leave her when she was pregnant, just like Billy was going to leave her after high school. So her sister Anna and her husband Bill adopted Billy and raised him as their own briefly until Cheryl decided that she wanted her boy back by any means necessary. Uh-oh. Over at Police HQ, Sergeant Cook gets a phone call from Julie's mother. At first he's like, I don't want to take it because remember Julie's mom was calling bitching about him, asking Julie about her sex life? Tell her I'm not here. She's like, I already told her you're here. Just take the damn call. And she says her daughter's gone missing after she was supposed to pay a visit to Cheryl. And Cook says, all right, I'll meet a deputy over there and we'll look into it. Well, Margie might be the sweetest character in the film, but she ain't the sharpest knife in the drawer by a long shot. Rather than quietly slink away after learning all the craziness that Cheryl's actually her mom, uh, Billy's mom, she calls out to Cheryl from downstairs that she's taking an umbrella from the coat closet. The same coat closet where fucking uh, Cheryl buried Julie's camera and backpack. That can't be good. I'm really leaving now, she says. <laughs> Luckily for her, Cheryl is busy trying to pour yet another glass of milk down Billy's throat. Drink it. Drink it. I spoke with Chuck about it, and he agrees. It's all your fault. Drink it, you lying little bastard. Of course, hearing Cheryl speaking in this deep demonic voice causes Margie once again to creep back upstairs to listen in on what's going on rather than get the fuck out of there, something the TNCC will never understand. The minute there's a problem or we're like, oh, this person might be crazy. Dude, we are fucking gone. Margie wants to, Margie's got to learn more. I love that Margie was trying to help, but yeah, dude, if it's me, I'm like... <laughs> 
Uh-oh, something's rotten in Denmark here. I'm just going to ease my way out this door and head to O'Brien's as fast as I can get there and not talk to anybody about this. Most I would have clocked out in the first third of this movie like, hey, what's uh, you know what? Look at the time. I've got to go. Oh, like, dude, after that that rape, the, the initial crime scene, they're like, we're never coming back here. <laughs> we got no time for this. As she reaches the top of the stairs, just in time to hear Cheryl call Billy in a baby voice, you're my messy little baby. She Cheryl wipes his lips off, the milk off with a towel, and then kisses those same lips like no aunt or mother should ever kiss a boy's lips. Time to go to bed, baby. Oh, God, this is getting weird. And... After she says that, she licks all the leftover milk off of his face and off of his neck. That yuck. But it was so good. I mean, it's like this chick is <laughs> fucking off the chain, man. Again, I'm showing up at O'Brien's in the rainstorm and Cody's like, geez, Doc, you look you look really bad at what happened. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. We're over at Billy's house there? Are you checking nope. up on him? Nope. No, nope, nope. just went to the post office. I'm going to need some absinthe and uh, whatever else you got back there. Well, doctor, you're our resident. Uh, you're a big time cinephile and lover of all things cinema. After you saw her licking that milk off of Billy's neck and French kissing him, were there any similar scenes like this in Beach Blanket Bingo or I Love Lucy that William Asher might have drawn from from his past directorial uh, jobs? I'm going to go with I doubt it you don't remember that episode of dukes of hazard <laughs> uh, well, i think the most famous i love lucy one was where her and what's her face are, are eating the chocolates off the conveyor belt and uh, that was some good old-fashioned fun and i believe that beach blanket bingo i believe annette funicello was known for having a pair of really nice yavos but uh that, that was uh 1963 or 64 so everything was nice and clean cut they were drinking non-drugged milk in those movies. She call them Yabos? You were saying? So there wasn't a Dukes of Hazzard where Uncle Jesse licked uh, Daisy's Yahoos? Is it Yahoo? weird that that was like the first thing that popped into my head? <laughs> Uncle Jesse licking Daisy's <laughs> Or even worse, like Bo, Bo Duke's Yahoos? And then Waylon Jennings kicks in. Is it freeze frames? What is Uncle Jesse doing to look? <laughs> Things just took an interesting turn at the Duke boys' house. How are the boys going to get out of this one? <laughs> now, Uncle folks, Jesse, I don't know about Uncle, you, but I'm Uncle not drinking Jesse, that milk. Uncle Jesse starts undoing his suspenders. How are the Duke boys going to get out of this one? <laughs> oh, God. I don't, I, don't, I don't know if Waylon James would go along with that. Well, if you give him enough of that white powder, he might be able to. I'm just surprised he didn't say that your name is uh, on the intramural Sam Houston basketball team was Boss Hog. <laughs> uh, vo- volleyball. Volleyball. Things look really bad for Luke right here. <laughs> you know shit. Picturing Uncle Jesse with milk running down that white beard of his. Stop, stop. Sorry, 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 sorry. Uncle Jesse was a good fan. A kick, a good kick, fan. Kick, kick, kick. 
<laughs> oh, don't get me started. Don't bring Enos into this. No, Roscoe. No, I can deal with Roscoe. Just leave Enos out of this. <laughs> Julia regains conscience. And why the hell would you ever name your kid something that rhymes with penis? <laughs> Are you just a fucking sadist? Sorry. To, to any of our listeners out there named Enos, I apologize. But I think you got bigger problems than us. <laughs> Julie regains consciousness down the cellar. Whoa, because she got hit massively with a meat dude, cleaver. She got a fucking meat hammer to the head. Fucking meat hammer. And if she wasn't terrified by the situation before, she sure shit is now after discovering Chuck String's skeleton on the bed next to her, and his severed head floating in a jar of formaldehyde nearby. Yeah, that's never good. Hey, just between us, do you guys think Aunt Cheryl ever got freaky and did something with that head? Yes. I do too. God. Well, I, think it's been, I think it's been some time, obviously, because the room was boarded up. But yeah. she did some things. She did some things. All I wanted was some blueberry pancakes touch. She did some things with that head. You know, you know she did. Uh, upstairs, Margie slinks her way down the stairs and finally exits the damn house. Oh, now you got enough information? Of course, it's pouring down rain and she forgot to grab the umbrella she said she grabbed, so she's getting soaked as she makes her way through the trees and forest back to her house. Well, these are problems. She's also being stalked by Cheryl, who's taunting her with that same cat purring noise that she used to wake up Billy, until eventually Cheryl bursts through the trees and slices open Margie's fat belly with a giant machete and outspilled that 49-foot record-breaking pancake we've heard so much about. <laughs> no, it didn't. It didn't. What a mess, though. She really cut open that chick's belly. She did. Tut. Serious question. You're a big cat lover. You have two cats. True. Did you have the thought, and I have nothing to back this up except my observations, that Susan Tyrell was mimicking the behavior and mannerisms of a house cat a lot in this film once she made the switch to full-blown psychopath? The way she kind of held her hands and the way she kind of like because she does the cat the cat purring stuff, but like a lot of her like her stuff, I was like, I think she, she's dead, so we can't ask her. But I thought like she was kind of mimicking, uh, like that might have been a, a choice by her to kind of mimic a, a cat. No, I just saw full blown crazy. It was just a theory I had, and it was a serious theory because I, I was like, the way she was acting was, she was clearly channeling something to be yeah. so different from her normal self. I, I thought maybe she went there, but who knows. Next up to escape the house of horrors is Julie, who climbs out a cellar window and finds herself in the storm surrounded by the forest. Rather yeah, than go, his, girl. Rather than, yeah, go. There's the driveway in the street. Run. You're young. Nope. Rather than risk running for it, for reasons which none of us will understand, she heads back into the cellar where Cheryl is waiting for her. Only just then, Sergeant Cook opens the cellar door, and as he pull, reaches up and switches on the light bulb, Cheryl chops off his hand with a machete 
and then slices his neck with it. I guess he won't be going to that glove convention in March. Doctor, doctor, you just watch Hudson Hawk. That, that's a good line. Julie throws a rope, a random rope in Cheryl's face that completely discombobulates her and makes her drop the knife, which Julie grabs and runs off. But no worries. Uh, Aunt Cheryl grabs a hatchet from the cellar and chases after her. I'm going to grab this machete, and instead of hacking you to pieces while you're discombobulated by my vicious rope that I just threw on you, I'm going to run the other way. It would not be an 80s horror movie if the hero or the protagonist just killed the bad guy when they had the chance. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Julie's screams are loud enough outside to wake Billy up from his milk-induced coma. Julie trips. She's running through the woods. She trips over Margie's dead body. Uh-oh. And just like that, Cheryl's caught up to her. And she comes down hard with the hatchet, which barely misses Julie but it gets stuck in Margie's thick, chunky little thigh, so she's trying to get it out of there. Uh, <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny. I don't know why. Um, Julie ends up falling into a nearby pond, and just like we've seen before on the podcast with Silent Rage and Turkey Shoot, the good guy and the bad guy wrestle it out in a shallow water pool, taking turns drowning each other, until finally Aunt Cheryl gets the upper hand, and she bashes a rock over Julie's head. And add insult to injury, she calls her a slut before she slinks down the water. Bye, Julie. For the second time. Yeah, for the second time. Bye, Julie. Back inside the house, Billy's tumbling down the stairs. He's stumbling all over the house trying to make his way to the telephone. The guy's just drugged out of his mind. <laughs> but just as he finally reaches the phone and dials for help, Mommy Cheryl, I'm going to stop calling her Annie Cheryl. She's Mommy Cheryl. Still dripping of pond water and all sorts of gross stuff. She pops up behind him and starts strangling her son with the telephone cord. Who are you trying to call? Your girlfriend? Well, I'm your girlfriend now. She says that she starts hugging him then, telling him how she's killed everybody who's ever tried to cross her, and she'll do the same to Billy if he tries to leave her again. He promises. What else can he do? He promises her that he won't. He'll never leave her. But then she snaps again and starts punching him in the head over and over again, calling him a lying little shit. This role for her had to be exhausting. Like, this is part of the filming, yeah. Oh, my God. Well, this lying little shit has had enough. So Billy grabs a random scalpel that's on the floor. I don't know where that came from. And he plunges it right into Mommy Cheryl's tit. What initially brought him life mother's milk has now brought her death the stabbing of the breast is what we scholarly types call symbolism boys tut take that into the classroom however you feel fit it started with her it started with her always insisting on him drinking her milk and it ends in a big way right here with a knife in the tip think about it a lot of symbolism here. It's very astute. But before she collapses, she gives him a sloppy open mouth kiss as she's dying. Uh, she grabs his head and sticks her tongue in his mouth. Uh, Dude, it. it's yucky as hell, but it's super effective from a character standpoint. 
but it more importantly, it's really yucky. It's really it was really hard to watch. So Billy grabs the phone again now that mommy's dead, and he calls not the cops, which I most times I'd be like, why didn't you call cops? The cops have proven to be total dickheads to him. Yeah, they're they're no. Help. Yeah, I just the killed phone. a second person according to the cops. So he calls the one person who said they would always be there to help him, Coach Landers. Coach is confused by Billy repeatedly saying that he's killed his mother, but he's a good dude, so he says, all right, I'm on my way. Once Billy drops the phone, Cheryl pops up again and starts stabbing and slashing her son over and over again with a knife that she pulled out of her chest. Billy's getting sliced to pieces until he's finally able to grab a fireplace poker and stab his mommy through the belly with it. We see it go all the way through her back. Doctor, she has to be dead this time, right? She's got to be finished now. She, she, my God, the intestinal pain from that poker. <laughs> There's no way she could have possibly been alive. I agree. I've seen a lot of these movies. That's got to be the kill shot. Well, law enforcement finally arrives at the same time as Detective Carlson. They find Margie's body first. And one of the deputies announces that he finds the handless Sergeant Cook. A lot of these kills were fine, but dude, when she lops off that hand, it's so cheesy. Okay, I, I forgave it. So when Carlson enters the house, gun first, and finds Coach Landers gently cleaning the blood off of Billy's cheek, with dead Cheryl lying next to them, we can guess where this homophobe's mind is going. Mm -hmm. Which one of you two assholes killed Cook? he asks as he raises his enormous gun at both of them. Thankfully, a deputy appears with the badly injured Julie just in time. Julie's alive! This is one tough broad. He is a persistent teenage girl. Meat cleaver to the back of the head, rocks to the front of the head. This girl yeah. keeps on ticking. Julie tells Carlson that she saw Aunt Cheryl kill Sergeant Cook, but he ain't listening. Get her out of here, he barks. Dude, this this is like amusing to me. Like she's saying, like, no, Cheryl did it. He's just like doesn't it just doesn't want to this doesn't go with what this I want. This guy refuses to believe anything that doesn't go with his narrative of the crime. Get her out of here. As soon as she's out of here, Carlson pistol. <laughs> nice one, Doc. Dude, Carlson pistol whips Coach Landers in the face, knocking his ass down. And he's about to shoot Billy when the coach comes to and grabs that fire poker and knocks the gun out of Carlson's hand, and it lands, conveniently, almost in Billy's lap. Carlson grabs the gay coach and is about to punch his face in, which, dude, one punch in the face from this seven-foot dude could kill you. It's a big boy. But Billy cocks the hammer. Give me the gun, Billy. All right, Billy, time to nut up or shut up. Give me the gun. The detective demands Billy hand over the gun, but Billy decides... You ain't gonna to, kill me, Billy. Give me the gun. Billy decides to give him the bullets instead. Three bullets to the torso. He blows fucking Carlson's body to pieces. Good riddance. And that's a big torso. His torso is like the size of a normal man. Uh, there's blood everywhere as Coach Landers looks around. And I had to think he's kind of regretting coming out here. Like, look, I'm a gay basketball coach in 1981. This isn't a good look. I didn't need this. I don't need this. 
I got my own problems. I'm working at Walgreens. At that point, after <laughs> probably was. At that point, though, when Billy's got that gun, Carlson's been shot. Coach is like, "What the fuck?" Did you? Did any of y'all have the same thought I did, where Billy was just going to put the gun in his own mouth and blow his brains out? This movie's so crazy; it wouldn't it wouldn't have caught me by surprise. I I didn't think that. I didn't he's either. Experienced, but... He's experienced so much emotional trauma. I mean, it's so definitely much, a tragedy at this point. So much unexplainable tragedy that he'll be in court for years trying to untangle this web of shit. Like, I thought he was just going to blow his own brains out, but he doesn't. I just thought that they were setting up for a Butcher Baker, Nightmare, Nightmare. Maker 2, The Yeast Rises, and Billy's <laughs> going to be the uh, the killer. You said the yeast rises. Yeah. <laughs> Love it, Dud. Love it. <laughs> well, Julie and the deputy run back inside, and Julie wraps her arms around a shell shocked, sobbing Billy. He does not blow his own brains out. As they embrace, an end title card appears over the couple on screen, telling us this. Billy Lynch stood trial for the slaying of Lieutenant Carlson. The proceedings lasted only four days, and the jury unanimously acquitted him on the grounds of temporary insanity. How about self-defense? It was 81, dude. I think, I think, I think he should be happy with what he got. <laughs> Julie, and how are you not temporarily insane when your mom, who's been pretending to be your aunt your whole life, French, it's kisses, fine. You, it's fine. French kisses you as you dig a fucking scalpel into her titty i think you're temporarily insane at that point the the only problem with that is temporary (laughs) true it goes on to say julie and billy are now currently attending stephen f austin university on a ping pong scholarship Uh, it's at the university of denver i'm sorry you're right they they're they're going to the university of denver of course the end wow wow what a movie I think it's worth noting before we wrap up uh, at this point in cinema history, 1981, we didn't have a lot of female serial killers on screen. And as damn good as Susan Tyrell is in this movie, I think her performance here should be mentioned way much more than it is, which is really never. I've never heard heard anything about this documentaries on slashers or psychos or any, I've watched them all and no one ever calls her out in this. Agreed. Agreed. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I've, I'm not the horror aficionado that you guys are, but I, I've watched a lot of those movies, and her performance is right up there with a lot so of so many, great. so many performances that are half of what she does get heralded as classic, and people need to be talking about what she does in this movie. Um, on that note, of female serial killers, did y'all hear recently on the news? About the female serial killer who is drowning her male victims in pancake mix and then dipping them in hot oil. Oh, why'd you have to go there? We were on such a good trajectory. No, Tut, it's good news. Some of them, thank God, managed to survive. And now they're all being kept at a battered men's shelter. Battered men's shelter. Like pancake batter? Yes. Yeah, we got it. We got it. 
Ten times over, we got it. It's a crime that this woman died before this movie could get the due that it was... Dude, she's so fucking great in this. She put in... uh, You can tell she put in a lot of fucking work into this character, and the fact that, like I said, a lot of horror icons who we go to conventions and get their autographs nowhere near pull off what she did here she deserved better i think this movie deserves better it's a good movie it's it's greatly acted not just good acting it's great acting uh all of them were engaging and i'm surprised that i've never even heard of this you know by the end of this i mean you're you don't think that she's acting crazy you think she is crazy i mean straight up yeah i also want to point out that the musical score by bruce langhorn is quite good it really flows stylistically all over the place piano synthesizer weird kind of uh, drones it manages to fit the mood of each scene uh even if it's a drastic turn from the last one i dug this score a lot and the cinematography by robbie greenberg did the same the film is really crisp and detailed throughout it's on fucking youtube it looked great yeah whether it's classically framed wide and medium shots or roaming plant panaglide type movements there was one scene where uh aunt cheryl and julie are arguing in the kitchen when she comes to distract her and the camera's flowing around that island in the middle as they kind of just keep roaming around it and it's like dude Horror movies in 81 didn't... I was supposed to say, this is 81. Yeah, they didn't have this kind of artistry behind the camera. So kudos to uh, Robbie Greenberg for that. Get this. He would go on to be the cinematographer of our beloved Swamp Thing. Hey, Swamp Toss. Free Willy. Under Siege 2, Dark Territory, which is a very underrated action sequel. And one of Tut's personal favorites, Fools Rush In, starring Matthew Perry of, Frank, of Friends Fame. I actually do really enjoy that movie. I took a gamble on that, but I knew you would. Come on, Matthew Perry and Selma Hayek with an Elvis soundtrack? Come on. And get this. Greenberg was assisted behind the camera. His camera assistant on tonight's film was Janda Bont, who over a decade later would direct both Speed Films and Twister. It's good pedigree. So not only was there or talent in front lineage. of the there not only was there talent in front of the camera on this, there were some really talented people behind the camera on this. So why haven't we seen this? I the mystery. I I, uh, I maybe want to give a little bit of leash to you guys' theory of the subject matter and just in 2021, 2020, for the last couple of years, to put out a movie this blatantly with this kind of hateful dialogue how come we didn't rent it in 1995 yeah know about it then and honestly what's what's the alternate title final warning or night warning night warning that's a terrible name for this movie (laughs) butcher baker nightmare maker that's why this has been one of my my golden eggs that i've always searched for my my arc of the covenant of movies because that name alone, I've just always had in my head, like Butcher Baker, Nightmare Maker. What a fucking great name for a movie. And then the fact that, one, that name has nothing to do with this movie. 
But the fact that the movie that it's associated with is just so complex and so amazing on so many levels. If we're the only ones that are talking about this, and if the only reason people know that this movie exists is because of the Tuesday Night Cigar Club, I'm a, I, I'm I'm fortunate and I feel privileged to to talk about it because this movie is fucking. It's one of my favorite movies, little sung, unheard of movies that we've ever featured on the podcast, and I think we did it justice. And I just I just wish, in a perfect world everyone could pull up Amazon and rent this or, but for some reason there's certain movies, hamburger, the movie and butcher Baker nightmare movie. You just can't watch these fucking movies. And I don't get it. I don't get why, but hopefully you enjoyed us talking about it. Cause I sure as shit had fun watching it multiple times and getting you guys perspective on it. It was, it was a good, it was a cool night. It was a fun night. Amen to that. what we do boys it's what we do Tut. you agree with all that i do i i agree with it wholeheartedly i'm still well, trying then. to i'm still trying to figure out why why i haven't heard of it you know what you have heard of you've heard of that you can join us on facebook tuesday night cigar club i know you've heard that you can join us on twitter at tncc cast and i know you've heard us that you can join us on youtube Tuesday Night Cigar Club. You can subscribe. Pound that like button if you like. What am I forgetting? Oh, by the way, if you enjoy pictures, that's your thing. You can go to Instagram. Join us at TNCC underscore podcast. And the great thing, if you're in the mood for some cigars, you can go to TuesdayNightCigarClub.com, click on the uh, Famous Smoke Shop banner, and it will automatically put the... TNCC20 code in your shopping cart. If you buy $100 or more, going to get $20 off. That's like 20%. And by the way, you got a little uh, March Madness. You got some uh, uh, St. Patrick's Day coming up. You want to get a St. Patrick's Day gift? You should. You can go to Tuesday Night Cigar Club, click on the Amazon banner, and do your shop from there. Helps us get the lights on. Those are all good links, Tut. Good job. Yeah. I think you got them all. And Tut made a rare appearance on our Instagram page the other day. He was outside chopping woods, posted a picture of his beer and his cigar. Let the people know that I was alive. You never know what you're going to get on our Instagram page. So uh, head over there. We got uh, a lot of stuff going on. Let you know what we're up to. So uh, Tut, good job on the links. Thank you guys for uh, and gals for uh, joining us tonight. This, uh, man, this felt like uh, one of those shows that we haven't really done in a while where we got to kind of dig deep and uh, kind of talk about some other stuff uh, while we're talking about the film, the cigar, and the beer. Uh, the hotcakes, I liked it. Yeah. Very good. Yes. Absolutely. I liked it. Can't beat that uh, price, too. Yeah. Uh, breakfast, uh, breakfast out, I was a fan of before, and it was still very pleasurable, but my God, I finally found a clown shoes beer that I like. Space cake, baby. You know it. That's Seek one. this one out. Um, if you have diabetes, stay away from every beer that uh, Yak Boy drank tonight. It, they were all delicious, but my God, they're just. Yeah, don't prick your thumb tonight, brother. Uh, the doctor had a wonderful beer. Uh, the, you, the please and thank you. The please and thanks. I'm going to be seeking that one out. And 
Uh, Tut finally found a brown alley light. Get your ass to Redhorn Brewery. Experience it for yourself. And we will see you again here in two weeks. Until then, boys and gals, may the wings of liberty never lose a feather. Sayonara, motherfuckers. Howdy folks, it's your favorite voiceover guy, Keith A. Howell here. So by now, I realize that you're expecting to hear me say, to learn more about the time I blah 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 blah, and then I tell you a humorous anecdote from my colorful past. But after hearing the boys talk about tonight's movie, there was just no way that I could muster up anything from the vault. Mental illness, incest, and violent homicides are simply no joking matter. So... Thank you for understanding, and I hope to be back next episode to deliver the chuckles once again. Oh yeah, uh, before I go, do you know what an incestuous nephew is called? An anteater. <clears throat> and uh, you can learn more about the cigars enjoyed on tonight's episode by visiting www.hbccigars.com. May God have mercy on all our souls. For more on O'Brien's Irish Pub, the live music leader in Central Texas, please visit O'Brien'sTemple.com and download their free smartphone app, where you'll find full beer listings including over 40 on tap, menu information, and a calendar of upcoming live events. To listen and purchase music heard on tonight's program, check out www.fritzbeermusic.com. Thank you for listening to the Tuesday Night Cigar Club Podcast. This is Keith A. Howell saying, until next time, friends, unless we see you sooner at the pub. So keep it smoky, and for God's sake, keep it ballsy as well. 